This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. You, 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 you are now locked in to the Clock Dodgers podcast. My little birds told me there was a podcast rising within the realm. As master of whispers, I pride myself on having ears throughout the kingdoms. I listen to the Clock Dodgers podcast as any wise man should. Subscribe. Podcasts are coming. There will be more fights to come. House Glover will stand behind House Stark, as we have for a thousand years. And I will stand behind Jon Snow. The King in the North! The King in the North! So John is King of the North. Everyone has proclaimed it. And Sansa even told him it was going to happen. You know, Littlefinger came at her with, with his little plan. And she was right. Jon Snow... King of the North, Tony. What is up, man? How's it going, man? Hey, man, it's Great going. Episode this week. Yeah, I'm sad, it's, I'm sad season six is over, but damn, that was a way to end it. Yeah, there, there was definitely no better way to go out. Um, that that was a epic episode, epic on all levels, on all you know, on all scales, and you know, there, there's so much to get into. There's so much to cover. Um, let, let's just jump straight into you know, Sansa and Littlefinger, where for the first time, Littlefinger admits that he wants the throne, right? That, that's, we, we've kind of all along said, what does this guy want? Like, what's his end goal? What's the end game for, mm-hmm. for Littlefinger? Um, and we finally hear it. It's he wants the throne and he wants Sansa by his side at the throne. Um, and, you know, I felt good about this conversation because I believe before this conversation, we seen um, Sansa say to John, you know, no one, you know, only a fool would trust him because that's what, you know, he always plays these games. Um, so exactly. I felt like, okay, she had a level head on, you know, going into this. Um, and and she did, you know, she pushed him away like, oh, sounds like a great story or a great picture you're painting or whatever it was exactly she said. Um, and, you know, we see we see the North basically, you know, stand up, you know, behind John for that. Um did did you have any worry at all that Sansa was going to fall for his tricks or for his little you know mind games? Um, yeah, I mean, part of me is still worried. You know, we see the look that she gave over to him when the in that scene when the tanning came to the north. You know, so part of me is still worried that she's going to fall for his tricks. But I do like the fact that she turned him down right away. We actually see for the first time Littlefinger being vulnerable which isn't something we're used to. You know, he, he kind of put all of his, put himself out there, and that's, that's not something Littlefinger does. He's very calculated in every movie he makes. So I don't necessarily think that he was expecting that, but his game isn't done. You know, he's, he's going to continue to try to play 
Santa is going to continue to try to play Santa against John. And I think next season you're going to see her being pulled between two people. She's going to be pulled between Littlefinger kind of talking her up and saying, you should be this, this power. You should be the one leading all these people. And then you're going to have her loyalty to John. And that's going to be questioned for sure. Yeah. You know, when I, when I was, you know, watching it, I was, you know, at least I was, I guess, you know, hoping that, you know, the look she gave him was kind of like, I told you so. Like, I like I got you. Like, mm-hmm. I won this game. And obviously, you know, b- before they started chanting that, Littlefinger looked happy because he probably thought they weren't going to stand up behind John. And then when they did, he looked, you know, pretty pissed off. Um, so obviously, as much as, you know, going into next season, we're going to be worried about the White Walkers and that winner's here and all this kind of stuff for John's side of things. Um, like you said, Littlefinger's definitely not done. Um, he has the yeah. veil. Um, so I don't know exactly, you know, how he's going to come at this, um, but certainly he's not happy. And we know um, Littlefinger has more than enough tricks, you know, up his sleeve um, that it's not always yeah. about, you know, brute force with him. You know what I mean, it's a, a lot of, a lot exactly, of sneaky yeah, stuff. <laughs> Yeah, he's always he's playing the game, and I think, like I said, I think he'll be any chance that he sees to be able to drive a wedge between John and Sansa, he's going to try because he knows that that's ultimately what he has to do is create a divide between them, and then we'll see. Then maybe his vision will be realized. I don't see it going that way. I don't see him sitting on the iron throne. I see his head on a spike, but he could be. You could even see little fingers probably becoming one of the big bads next season, you know, replacing some of the villains that we've lost. Right. And, and, and we did have Sansa kind of answer to a lot of the skeptics um, on this episode too, where people said that she didn't tell John about Littlefinger, about the Knights of the Vale, mm-hmm. um, where she kind of apologized for that saying she should have told him. Um, so, you know, that was, that was kind of a big thing, you know, that bothered people um, at the end of the last episode. Yeah, I, I stand by my theory that, she did it because she didn't know. You right. Know, I, I wish that had been explicitly stated. It would have been a nice way to close that loophole. But I do think that that's why she didn't tell him is that she never received a raven back saying he was coming. She didn't know she could trust Littlefinger. And she didn't want John to play in the battle differently, thinking that reinforcements were coming and them not coming. Right. Absolutely. And then, of course, he, you know, he seemed to have you know, accepted her apology. But he did say an important line to her, which is, we have to trust each other. Um you know, exactly. in, in, in a place where a lot of people, you know, want to see them fail, you know, want to hurt them, um, they have to at least trust each other um, because that's all they really have at this moment, um, which I think mm-hmm. was a pretty important scene. Um, I don't know, you know, if they're both fully committed to that, you know, to trusting each other yet or if that was just kind of um, the beginning of something or, you know, either one of them are playing a game with each other. But certainly it's, you know, it's very important for them <clears throat> as far as the life of them you know, going forward, uh, it's very important for them, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it'll be... And like you said, as far as they know, they're all they have. They don't know that Bran's alive, and they don't know that Arya's alive. Right. So they really view each other as the last Starks. So I do think that they know that they need to be together and they need to have this alliance, but I think that alliance will be tested come the next season. Absolutely. So we do, I do, we do want to jump into, you know, John, you know, more about Jon Snow here. Um, we got a lot on this episode. Maybe he's not Jon Snow um, and yep. maybe he's not Jon so much Stark all the way. Um, you know, let's, maybe he's not John at all. <laughs> maybe he's not John at all. Um, so I, we do have a special guest to bring on for that. Um, it's actually a returning guest, a, uh, a listener favorite, 
um, James, you know, the Omega Ginger is here. And so we are going to speak about John and, and some other things, some other fun topics. Because, of course, if, if we bring James on it, it's not all, all seriousness. But uh, we do want to go ahead and get into this really quick. So let's go ahead and jump into our conversation with James. All right. So on the line, we have James, a.k.a. the Omega Ginger, representing House Omega Ginger. And, you know, we're going to let you open this up since you are a Ramsey apologist. I will let you, you know, speak at his funeral here. What are the last words you have for Ramsey, James? Well, my dear, sweet, true king of the north, my giant slayer, my lover of dogs, it felt only right that you went out feeding the ones you love. <laughs> oh, man. Beautiful. Brought a tear to my eye. I hope so. The guy, he did go out, you know, taking care of his dogs, man. It only made sense. It only made sense. They weren't very loyal beasts. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So, James, we have you on the show. We're going to talk about some some stuff here, some topics here. Um, You know, Ramsey's not going to be a part of it, but that's okay. We got some other cool stuff to talk about with you. And I want to start off with you on... Jon Snow and his potential parents and the flashback that we've seen um, that, you know, showed us a baby Jon Snow that we were all supposed to assume, I guess. Um, what, give, give me a little insight here, man. What, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think happened there in that scene? What do you think was said in that scene? I know, you know, I don't know if you're a master Ripley, lip, lip uh, excuse me, lip reader. I don't know if there was anything to actually read in those lips, but, um, Give me some insight here, man. Let me know what's going on here in this scene. All right. Pretty much what we've seen was Jon Snow's birth. Uh, Lyanna Stark is his mother. Uh, what we are not sure of is Jon Snow's true name or if the fact that Lyanna actually stated that, well, stated who Jon Snow's actual father was. Now, there's a point to where she goes, his name, and then you can't hear anything because they're whispering each other, whispering to each other, but they're whispering the whole time. And then you can start hearing the whispers again, and all we hear is Robert will kill him. So pretty much a lot of people are dissecting right now, trying to read her lips. I honestly think the show... They're very smart about certain things. I think they just had her moving her lips saying absolutely nothing, so that way we don't know exactly what's going on because it'd be too easy to have somebody read her lips and boom, done. Uh, but, yeah, so so that is what I think happened in that scene. Now, as for his father, there are so many different theories out there. Uh, the main one is involving the R plus L equals J, which uh, most people believe that is Rhaegar Targaryen plus Lana Stark, or Lyanna Stark, I'm sorry, equals Jon Snow. But I don't know. It just feels too obvious to me. 
So so it feels for, like for, they, so really quick for the okay. for the people who don't know the super basic Game of Thrones fans the ones who are just watching it because they think it's cool who is Rhaegar Targaryen in, in simple simple simpleton terms here who is he and and why would he be the father you know kind of give us a little backstory if you can Rhaegar was the heir to Aerys Targaryen's throne uh, who was the Mad King that everybody knows of. He was he was the oldest son. He was married to I'm blanking on her name right now. Help me out here. Um she was a Martell. Oh Elia. Elia Martell. Yes. Yes. He was married to Elia Martell. Uh theoretically he was in love as far as everybody knows with Lyanna Stark. Uh supposedly kidnapped her. Robert Baratheon said he kidnapped and raped her. Uh, there might have been a mutual love there. Uh, there's a lot of theories out there that he married her. But but Rhaegar it was the true heir to the throne before the rebellion. Okay, gotcha. And and so why do you say that's too easy? It, it's not. It's not that. Uh, it's too easy. And almost every great story that has been written and told or TV book, movie, the easy answer, the obvious answer, is almost always never the answer. That's why I feel, now I believe it could be Rhaegar. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that backs up that it could be Rhaegar. But I believe that it could actually, and would fit better into the story, if it ended up being Robert Baratheon. And there are points to this that I'll go over. One being, there are no more Baratheons. The Baratheons is, has a very long lineage and is very entrenched in the lore. I don't see them just eradicating off the Baratheon family. Unless okay. Gendry pops up in his rowboat at one point, or at some point, I doubt they're... I don't think they can eliminate the Baratheons. Another thing is Robert was deeply in love with her and also betrothed to her. Well, she was betrothed to him. And you never know if they actually consummated anything at any point um which robert would also fit into the r plus l equals j also the reason i think that fits better is endgame john marrying daenerys if they do were to get together as a baratheon just seems a little bit better in my eyes than john targaryen marrying <laughs> daenerys targaryen so, so but, and then uh, a lot of people. Oh, go ahead. No, no. So, I so I just wanted to lend credence. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> go ahead, go ahead. I think another thing that kind of lend credence to your theory is, um, if you remember back when Bran got pushed out of the window, I think Cersei went into the room and told a story about her first child, Robert's child, that wasn't actually Jamie's kid. Um, having her having a miscarriage, so that kind of gives credence to the trouble at birth and things like that that you had with Lyanna. Mm-hmm. Yes, that, that is another thing right there. Um, 
another thing is a lot of people argue the fact that why would Robert kill his son that he had with Leona Stark? Here's a huge problem with Robert Baratheon. You see it throughout all the shows. You've read it in the book. If you've read the book, Robert is such so quickly to go to like rage. He goes Hulk mode. He snaps. Mm-hmm. He doesn't think about anything. He sees red, and he just goes nuts. He's hit his wife in the show. He he's he's uh, slapped. Uh, Joffrey, he's actually shown hate towards Joffrey, uh, who at the time he thought was his son. <laughs> right. Uh, also, he was so obsessively in love with Lyanna that that could have set him into a blind rage of saying, of just being like, you are the reason the love of my life is dead and could potentially kill John. In a blind rage, and then I mean, I do honestly think you, if it something like that would ever have happened, he would have felt horribly terrible afterwards. But I could have seen him easily go into a blind rage and murder his child, and he wouldn't be the only father in Game of Thrones or real life that would hate their child for such a reason. I mean, Tywin tried to have Tyrion killed off multiple times in the show. Uh, we just had Samwell's story of his father pretty much said, you go to the wall or you die. So, I mean, it, it wouldn't be, it, it wouldn't be like it was making a precedent for a father wanting to kill its, kill his son. Right, right, right. Absolutely. Um, one, one thing is kind of off topic, sort of, um, Ramsey went, went before he became a Bolton, his last name was Snow, right? Is that just a name that all bastards get, or is there a reason for that, that he had the same last name as yes. John? Yes, uh, bastards in the North get the name Snow automatically. Bastards in the South get Flower, I believe. Okay. It's, uh, yeah, that's the Reach. Um, it's uh, Stone, I think, for the Vale. I know mm-hmm. the Riverlands is Rivers. Um, the Sand is Thorn. I remember Elena yep. saying, um, I can't remember the rest. I think I think the Targaryens are waters originally. Mm-hmm. Okay. But then some people think they're Blackfire because of the Blackfire Rebellion. Gotcha. I just wanted to clear that up because some people thought like, oh, is Jon Snow and Ramsey brothers? You know, stuff like that. So I just wanted to kind of clear that up. Um, so, so with Jon Snow's parents, obviously, you know, depending on who it is, um, obviously, you know, like you said, it's kind of a big deal. Um, it changes things, you know, if it's not one person, if it is a certain person, it kind of changes uh, the dynamic a little bit. Um, kind of, so, so you think it's Robert, and you said you could see it being Rhaegar also, but you think it's Robert. Um, Tony, do you agree with that, or do you go the more uh, the more majority um, idea with, with Rhaegar? I go the more traditional route. Um, I think it is Rhaegar. I think if it was going to be anybody besides Rhaegar, it would actually be Amon. Um, the the a, a plus L equals J theory, I guess, um, that, that has some evidence to, to support it. I don't necessarily think that's the truth. Um, Amon goes back to the, the trouble with childbirth, you know, that um, I spoke to about Robert, that all of his kids uh, have miscarriages and things like that. I think he had, like, eight out of 12 kids die or something along those lines um, during childbirth. But 
I think the reason that the name was muted out was the first name I don't think is important. I think the last name is important. And my reasoning for that is I think John, either uh, Rhaegar and Lyanna got married after Elia was raped and murdered and he was able to be married, or John is a legitimized bastard that Rhaegar sent a raven back saying that Lyanna was pregnant with a child and he didn't want the child to be born a bastard and this is the woman he loves, things like that, and the Mad King legitimized him. So um, John's name is either, you know, whatever his first name is, Blackwater, or whatever his first name is, uh, actual Targaryen. Now, I think one of the ways that the show will show this is um, you could have Bran say it outright, and that would be a very easy way. You also have Sam at the Citadel. And now you look at all those books, and you look at kind of, it showed kind of the sporadic record-keeping of the Citadel, that they, they are very devout just in their studies at the Citadel. They might have got a raven just for a bloodline, thrown it in a book somewhere, and put it away. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think that they have a lot of, they, they don't look at the bigger picture and the scope of things very much. Just by the way Sam was talking to him, you know, he showed a very eccentric character, things like that. So I think that maybe Sam could actually discover this, that he could discover that there was a legitimized bastard in the Targaryen who was born around the time John was born and kind of put the clues together come next season. Gotcha. So obviously Sam has a lot of reading to do, <laughs> but, um, yeah, but it's, but it's <laughs> down. Um, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> um, but you know, k- kind of what you guys are saying here with, 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 you know, who, who his parents are, it kind of, like, like I said, it, it brings, you know, the storyline along different paths, obviously, depending on who, who it is. Um, I, I do want to kind of go into the fact that, you know, the season ended with them saying John King of the North, uh, you know, all the people in the North kind of, you know, siding with him at that point. Um, so, I mean, I, don't, I mean, I don't know. Do we think he's going to go try and take the throne? Um, obviously, you know, somebody is coming with a very big army and three dragons also to take the throne. Um, you know, James, what, what do you think is going to happen here? I mean, as far as this goes, do you think, you know, Jon Snow is actually going to want the throne or do you think something, I mean, I know you said something about him and, Daenerys getting married. I mean, do you think that's what's going to happen here, or? Um, it all depends on how the story goes and who his actual father is to me on which way it goes. But I think the only thing from the north that is going south is a raven that is saying, "Hey, we need extra help. We're going to fight some walking zombies." Pretty much. Um, the, John is going to point that army north and head north and probably get to the wall and that's where he will most likely meet Bron or Bran, not Bron, uh, <laughs> Bran and, uh, potentially find out who his actual father is at that point. But, but he is going to march his army North. That was the whole point of them retaking Winterfell and reuniting the North. Yeah. So, he, so you don't think he has any interest in the throne really? Um, I don't think he has any interest in power in general. Right. Okay. So, but yeah. So, with if we do find out that him and Daenerys uh, are are brother and sister, or whatever the case is, um, how, how do you think that plays into John's storyline, though? I think if it finds out, if we find out they are brother and sister, 
John and Daenerys will work together. John will rule the North. He will become the Warden of the North. And I think that's as far as it goes. I do not see them getting married if they are brother and sister. Okay. And Tony, you agree the same thing? Uh, yeah, if the if the brother and sister of the Amon theory is true, then then yeah, I think that's where it ends. If they're um, or aunt and aunt and uncle, or not aunt and uncle, but aunt and nephew. If they're aunt and nephew, I think that marriage is definitely still a possibility. If you look at kind of the traditions of the Targaryens, they marry within their family, kind of to keep their bloodline pure, to keep their power consolidated. So this wouldn't be kind of a foreign as foreign of a concept in that time or in this world as it is to us. Now, Jamie and Cersei's uh, relationship is looked down upon and things like that, but it's also looked down upon because she's married to the king. So it's not just it's also a question of me fucking the queen and that today, as opposed to, you know, pure heirs. So I don't think this is marrying within your family is as foreign of a concept in this world. So I do think I could see Tyrion, um, I'm sorry, I could see. Danny and John getting married in the end, even if they are aunt and niece. You know, it's George R. R. Martin, so it's kind of a it's kind of a fucked up place. <laughs> <laughs> right. Otherwise, they're brother and sister, and you think he's just like like James said, warden of the north. She holds down, you know, King's yeah, Landing, yeah, and, and they and they team up together. Yeah. Um, as as far as I'm sorry, uh, as far as pointing his armies north, um. I don't think that that's necessarily going to be his first plan. I think his eyes will always be north. I don't think he has a lot of desire for the Iron Throne. But I do think that he will try to get some of, you know, the, the armies of the Reach. He'll, he'll reach out to the, the southern lands for more people because he barely had enough people to take Winterfell. Now, adding the Glovers and the other houses of the North End still doesn't give him enough men to fight this off on his own. You know what I mean? He's going to need all of King's Landing, and that might not be, uh, all of Westeros, and that might not be enough. So I think, well, that's he, I think next season you're going to see him try to get some more forces. I think it's going to be a lot of intrigue between him and Sansa. Uh, and there, you know, you see like the look between Sansa and Littlefinger during that scene. So you're going to see those two kind of going back and forth, and Sansa struggling between being pulled one way by Littlefinger and being pulled another way by Jon. And you're going to see that kind of play out next season before we actually get to the the great battle, the actual battle that is the end game. But I don't think his end game is the throne. I don't think he has any desire for that. James, <clears throat> I wanted to ask you, James. Um, you you read the books, right? So, um, and I and I don't know how you know how how far it got as far as you know battles with White Walkers and stuff like that. But um, do, do you get the sense that? You know, when they say that, you know, the White Walkers are coming, you know, winter is here now, all this kind of stuff. Do you get, is the idea that, like, the White Walkers are going to get past the wall and they have to defend, you know, Winterfell and all these places? Or is it the opposite way? Is it, you know, the people of the North go to the White Walkers? What What is supposed to be the idea there? Like, which way is this supposed to go? That actually kind of goes into my whole theory on Bran, or Bran being at the wall. Okay, so let's just jump right into that um, then. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, there we go. Um, yeah, I do believe the White Walkers are going to get through because Bran is in such a panic mode that he is heading north. He's going for John, pretty much. That is where he's heading. He's heading. He's going to get through the wall. Well, the wall is enchanted, which actually me and uh, 
Uh, a lot of people know this person. Uh, he's in the Game of Thrones chat a lot uh, at at the Cheesehead. Yeah. Um, me and him have been talking about this. Uh, he brought it up to me the uh, night of the uh, season finale, which I was working on my John Baratheon theory at that or at that time. But <laughs> so I wasn't even thinking about it. Bran is marked by the Night's King. He goes through that wall. That wall is enchanted to stop them from getting through, but it's enchanted by the children of the forest. His enchant- those enchants do not work now that Bran is marked. Bran's going to go through that wall, and here's going to come the Night's King and the rest of his army. Pretty much because, like, something weird. They were chasing Bran and Benjamin and Mira, and all of a sudden they just stopped. There's a reason they stopped. They knew where he was heading. He goes through that wall. They're falling right through. Okay, I see what you're saying. So they've been kind of just playing back a little bit, just waiting and waiting and letting him go through. And it's kind of like how it was with the tree, right? You know, it it, it kept them out. But once they touched him and he had that mark, then they can come through. It's similar to that, you're saying, right? Correct. Okay, I gotcha. And Tony, you think the same thing? You think they're just going to walk on through or what? Yeah, I think, um, like, I'll when we get my predictions later, I'll get my theory as actually how they get through the wall. But I do think that Bran going through the wall and going going south will be the impetus of them being able to breach that barrier. I definitely agree with that, just because we, we've laid the groundwork already. Right. And, and I'm just curious, you know, from from both of you, I guess we could start with James, but um, what what is, what is Bran's role, really? I mean, besides you know, to tell us the past and to give us flashbacks and, and, and all this kind of stuff. I mean, he obviously can't fight in any, you know, his physical body. I mean, he can warg. So, I mean, what, what is, what is his role in the fight itself? I mean, is it just to, you know, to kind of give people information and knowledge or, I mean, is there more to it? You think James? I think it's both. He is one thing pretty much like the greatest piece of knowledge in all of Westeros, uh, he can see all of the past. He knows how the Night's King was created now. He, he'll be able to tell certain things and maybe even weaknesses of the Night's King that others may not realize. Uh, but I also think when it comes down to the final battle, he will be involved. There's been theories about him warging into one of the dragons and being potentially like the third dragon rider. Uh, which is a possibility. I also think it's a possibility he works in the ghost and fights in the battle as a ghost. Uh, I mean, there's, there's just, I do think he has, he has a role in the final battle. Just what it is, we don't quite know yet. You, you agree, Tony? I mean, do you think he's just a crippled kid with a, with a, with a crazy brain, <laughs> or do you think that he, he plays more physically as well into it as far as the battle with the walkers? Well, I do think he is that, but I I think he'll have a larger role to play. Um, I could definitely see a scenario where they're trying to figure out, you know, weaknesses, things like that. Maybe you could even see a Valyrian sword kind of shatter when he tries to hit the knight. When somebody tries to hit the knight's king, you know, I could see like a Brienne maybe being the sacrificial lamb or somebody in that situation, and it the Valyrian still not working on him, and maybe then Bran looks into the ancient past after the White Walkers were created. 
and actually watches them die, sees how it happens, maybe figures out a weakness, something along those lines. I also could imagine a world where while the Night King is having a physical battle with like John or somebody like that, Bran is also having a mental battle with him. You know what I mean? To kind of attack him on two fronts. So I could see maybe Bran warding into him or something along those lines. So you're getting the the mental battle inside the mind between those two, and then you're also getting the physical battle between the Night King and John. Interesting. So I, I never even thought about that. Him warging into a White Walker. Um, that that's you know that's an interesting you know aspect all in itself. Um, do either of you think that? There's any chance by the end of these this next season coming up or the season that follows um, that Brand dies? I I could see him dying. I could see any character in the show dying. <laughs> yeah, true, yeah. true, yeah, um, definitely. Yeah. But likely, uh, do you think I, it's likely? I could see him sacrificing himself. Maybe even in the scenario that uh, Tony was just talking about with him uh, warging into maybe his mind and. Maybe he does help defeat him, but maybe it just takes too much of a toll on him and he just dies from it. Um, and I also could see a very easy scenario where he lives. I mean, I mean, how sadistic can the show get and kill a cripple kid? <laughs> <laughs> it, it can. Don't worry. It can. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah, like like James said, anything can happen in this show. I mean, for all we know, the ending's going to be everybody defeated and the White Walkers taking over the land, and that'd be the end of the world. You know, like this, I don't think, one of the things with George is that he always said that he thought uh, Lord of the Rings was too black and white. You know, you have this big evil force and everybody trying to defeat it, and then ultimately good prevails, and it's a big happy ending. And he wanted to write a more nuanced version, essentially, of, of Lord of the Rings. So. For us to only have, you know, at the end of the series and of the books, a battle between black and white and a great evil force just doesn't seem as nuanced as George. So I think there's going to be more layers to it, and I could see um, it costing basically everybody to win this war, you know, and like 90% of the characters that we give a shit about die. I could see a scenario where, like James said, where he sacrifices himself. I, there's definitely a lot of different paths, but yeah, I, I personally, I think Bran won't make it. Like, just because one of the things is that Bran is the Lord of Winterfell, and this is going to be kind of an interesting dichotomy if he makes it to Winterfell uh, before the Great Battle. Is he, he's he's the heir? He's the oldest trueborn son of Ned Stark. Now everybody's rallying behind John because they think that Bran is dead. But when Bran comes back, what's going to happen there? So if the scenario is going to play out like like James said and like like I said, um, where John's the warden of the north and Daenerys is in the south, then where does Bran fall into that? Because technically he should be warden of the north. Three eyed raven and unless warden of the he, north. Unless he renounces his titles, which is a possibility. Yeah, yeah, he could definitely do that. Like that's that's definitely a possibility. Because like even he could say like I can't produce an heir, you know what I mean? He's we don't know if everything's mm-hmm. paralyzed, but most likely everything is paralyzed. <laughs> so he could even say like I can't produce an heir, so John, you know, deserves to be one in the north or whatever, and I renounce all claims to my land, and I'm gonna go sit up in this tree with and kind of watch shit, you know. <laughs> 
I just wish the guy would walk again. <laughs> I mean, no knock on people who can't walk or, you know, anyone in a, in a disabled situation. But hey, it's just, you, yeah, you would. <laughs> it's just, you I like, hate. Like at least we get him. Do they creep you at least he gets his new legs in the. <laughs> yeah, at least he gets his new legs in the visions. Yeah, yeah right? that's true. I just hate seeing him, like, dragging around and stuff. It's like, oh, come on, man. Everybody <laughs> walks in heaven, Neil. <laughs> you got new legs, Lieutenant Bran. <laughs> he's gonna get. He's gonna get his magic legs. <laughs> That's so messed up. How that rhymes perfectly and everything with it. Oh man, <laughs> that's just too perfect. Um, the the. I mean, I guess that's really all we can say about Bran until we see. I mean, people are gonna constantly. Um, come up with theories for this and, and, you know, their own endings and how this works. So, um, you know, we're just taking a small jump into it. You know, we'll, we'll have to obviously wait, you know, a while to see how this really plays out. But um, definitely, you know, we're seeing here there's different there's different options. There's different, you know, ways for this to go. It doesn't have to go along um, the traditional way that everyone thinks it will. Um, although that's probably more likely, it doesn't have to. Um, the, the one other um, really interesting thing um, that I wanted to talk with you about, James, specifically, and Tony here, was, um, you know, Daenerys, in her scene, uh, part of her scene there, um, she basically told, um, you know, told told the man that she thought she loved, or that, you know, loves her, you know, unconditionally, and all this kind of stuff, that um, he cannot come with her, um, you know, to go to try to take over King's Landing and everything, and, you know, as much as he said, no, I, you know, I really want to go. She's like, do you want to be my mistress? Like, you know, I can't, you can't, you can't fit that role that, you know, I need to find over there. Um, and so this brought up a whole new story is who, who is Daenerys going to marry? Um, is she even going to get married? I mean, everyone assumes she has to, I guess. Um, but, um, you know, there's a lot of, there's, there's, a, there's a few suitors who are interested in, um, I've seen a few interesting names thrown around um, that I didn't even, you know, think about before. Um, some even said, "Is there possibly a little, um, a little romance between her and Tyrion?" Which I don't know if that's a reach at all uh, or wishful thinking on behalf of I'd somebody. Love to see that. <laughs> I don't. I mean, I don't know if you go from Cal Drago to a dwarf if that, you know, does anything for you. But um, <laughs> hey, it could be a tripod. That's <laughs> true. <laughs> so, yeah, he's always said, you know, everything's not little. You, know, you see, even in the first scene, he's like, God, you know, the God did bless me in one way. <laughs> that is true. That is true. So what do you think is going to happen here, man? I mean, you gave us twisted thoughts on Ramsey and who's bad and who's good. Um, I don't know if you have any twisted thoughts on who, who's her suitor, you know, who could be who can marry Daenerys. But um, where, where do you go with this, man? Give me some options. Give me options to choose from. Uh, well, unfortunately, most of my twisted thoughts died with Ramsey. Um, but, <laughs> uh, no, I do believe there are five actual eligible suitors for Daenerys when she comes to Westeros. Uh, got, uh, I can never pronounce his name, but Greyjoy is not one of them. He's, he's going to die. Every, yeah, yeah <laughs> everybody knows he's going to die horribly. Um, so the, the that leaves five eligible because the rest of Westeros is dead. Um, we'll start with number one. You brought him up first, so I'll use him as number one. Kyrian. Kyrian is an eligible suitor. He is uh, Lannister. He is very rich in Westeros. He is actually... 
quite a genius when it comes to ruling uh, over people. I mean, he knows what's best for people. Uh, I don't think it's going to be him whatsoever because he is her right hand, and it's just it's just not going to happen. I think they're more he's more on the friend firm. level. Yeah, he's firmly in the friend zone. There ain't no coming exactly. out of it. Uh, number two, Robin Aaron. Oh, God. That is, no, that man, is one no. of the eligible bachelors. He, there's no chance in hell Robin Aaron can let that happen, so we'll just throw that one away. <laughs> hey, man, uh, he is a tick kid. You know, we do know that. Yeah, this is true. This is true, but Daenerys is an ass girl. Um, <laughs> uh, then we got... Let's see here. That was Tyrion, Robin. There is Theon. Theon has no junk, so therefore he cannot procreate, so therefore he is gone. Man, we're knocking these yeah, guys off the list from, quick. You talk about yeah. going from Kyle Drogo to Tyrion. You go from Kyle, Kyle Drogo to that. <laughs> He's not. You always got a better shot than Theon. <laughs> um, yeah, and we've already heard in season one how uh, Tyrion's better with his fingers than. Uh, be honest, so. <laughs> <Okay>. um, <laughs> which leaves only two actual eligible suitors, in my opinion. Jamie Lannister, which I really don't see it happening because of his love for his sister. Even if he does turn on her and she dies, I think it is going to leave him emotionally a wreck to fall in love with somebody or even what well, she doesn't have to fall in love with her, but it it's one of the ones that could make sense more because he does have one of the bigger armies and he could kind of fit that role well, but I, I really don't think he's going to be in an emotional state to move into something like that. He does Which like, leaves, Ron, uh, yes, he does. Um, <laughs> which leaves us with John. But like I said, if in my opinion, if John is in fact her nephew or her brother, I don't see that happening. And the reason I say this is because ever since the first episode and the first book, they've kind of rammed certain things down your throat that just they just keep coming and nonstop keep coming. One of them was Incest creates monsters. <laughs> <laughs> Incest created Joffrey. Incest created the Mad King. Incest created many crazy Targaryens. Incest does not always go well. That's why I don't think if John is a Targaryen, it will work. Just because the show, if they do end it like that, I feel, and the books, will completely counterdict themselves on that whole theory they've just been kind of building since season one of you really shouldn't sleep with your family members. <laughs> I hear so you. that would be the only case that I could see Jamie becoming the actual suitor to Daenerys. So you think but, Jamie uh, is the number one bachelor? Look, Jamie, Jamie potentially could be the number one bachelor if it does, in fact, end up being Rhaegar's son. See, okay. Neil, I told you I had good taste. Well, first of all, you'd get Tony very upset because you take Tony's yeah, man out from under his arms, and that's now. not fair. <laughs> 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 
that's not fair at all. But, you know, Tony, I think, Tony, did you mention this also, that you thought that possibly? That they could form a union? That Jamie and, and Daenerys, did you kind of float that idea out there too? Uh, I don't I don't know that I did on here. I might have in the chat. Yeah, um, in the I chat. Do think I mean, that he, I think I think he makes the most sense. Him and John, like like uh, James said, they they make the most sense just because anybody else that could be technically an eligible bachelor bachelor, she already has on her side. You know, I've seen some people float out like Yara. You know, maybe she's gonna it's gonna be queen and queen ruling the world. But Yara Yara already gave her what she needed from her. She's already given her the ships. Tyrion has already given his counsel. He's already loyal to her. So Yara can't Jamie, make an heir either. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so that that kills the bloodline right there. And I think that Danny is going to be is going to want to carry on the Targaryen bloodline. You know, so I I I could see her um, going the route. I, I think she'll end up with somebody just because you're going to want to see that bloodline continue. And I I personally think it's going to be John. Like I think that that I think those two together will be how the season ends. I think that makes the most sense uh, from this. If, if she is definitely going to be with somebody, I have a, I actually think um, part of me wonders, I don't know if I've floated this out here or anywhere else. Um, is she going to institute a monarchy? Because she talked about when she was in the, um, in Marine about them electing their own leaders. Do you think there's any chance that Danny institutes kind of like a parliamentary system or a actual democracy to Westeros in the end of this? Well, and she doesn't rule, so that makes the need for an heir kind of null and void. Let's make the Seven Kingdoms great again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's going <gonna> be... <laughs> to be a hot, a slightly hotter Donald Trump. Uh, slightly. <laughs> not, not fully, but... If Donald Trump looked like that, he got my vote. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, I, 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 I <laughs> that's true too. Um, I mean, I could see that happening. Uh, I don't know though. I mean, she's kind of defined herself as I'm in charge. Yeah, and I mean, she does. Yeah, she she does lean to like advice. But if she wants something done, she's going to have it done. So I don't know if she would completely give up power. She might make the small council a little bit more powerful, but mm. but I, I don't know if she would go as far as putting an open democracy in. But, but I mean, I could see her making the small council a little bit more powerful to kind of put herself in check in times when it's needed. Um, but yeah, I mean, I do see. Like I said, I, I agree with you. Uh, John or Jamie are the only two actual suitors that make sense. Uh, I think it would end perfectly if you had John end up somehow being Robert Baratheon's son, because then you could continue on the Baratheon line. At the same time, you could continue on the Targaryen line. Mm. But and does, does that make? John kind of an automatic enemy of hers if he's a Baratheon because now the I don't think so. Jokers, so yeah, they they are, but I don't think so because of a certain conversation we just had between Yara and Daenerys of 
our fathers made these mistakes. Yeah, that's let's not make the same mistakes. Also, I mean, um, we, so I mean, could you see a could you see kind of a democracy system taking over Westeros and? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can't forget too. I mean, she got Tyrion, you know, as her hand. I mean, obviously, his brother killed her dad. Um, you know, so I don't, I don't see that being an issue. I honestly, I love the Jamie thing, man. Like, I'm the more and more I think about Jamie and her, I like it because number one, you know, he says the only woman he he loves or can love. Even in just this last episode, he's like, oh, you know, not interested in women and stuff besides her. And then you know, for Daenerys to come across um and kind of steal that spot i think would be awesome because even um for daenerys you know um in her scene when she was leaving and told uh what's his name that he couldn't come with her he was like you know uh many men or no one can you know like kind of refuse her kind of um so many men after him will come or whatever that you know that there's no shortage of men or or i think Tyrion said there's no shortage of men that will want her um and so i think that'd be cool to see jamie you know, either either Cersei's dead or fall out of love with her for Daenerys. So I think that'd be cool. Um, and then obviously, you know, he killed her dad, right? I mean, that'd be kind of, you know, crazy, you know, crazy uh, connection there. And I just don't like the John thing, man, because I, I, I guess I already have it in my head that they're like brother and sister. And I'm like, I just can't, I can't get behind yeah, it, man. <laughs> I can't get behind it for some reason. <laughs> like, I think yeah, Jamie, I, mean, I think Jamie is a very cool um you know, situation. We know he has no problem making babies. So, you know, that's good, right? I mean, he's all good and down I there. Would, I would like to see that because it would give Jamie kind of a happy ending in, in the story. Yeah, that'd be great. Whereas John does not need Daenerys to get a happy ending in the story. Exactly. Yeah, I've, always, that's, I've said since, since we started doing this show that I want to see Jamie become something more than, you know, a, a Kingslayer and a you know, being mocked. We know, like Tony, we of, know. It would be, yeah, I know. <laughs> it would be poetic justice for him to end up as kind of, you know, the most respected man in the realm and things like that. But I do, the thing that I wonder is, like they've said, there's only two people and Daenerys isn't going to let the Targaryen bloodline die. You know, she actually even seems like a type, like Jamie might take her last name. <laughs> like, <laughs> That's true. You know, Tyrion can keep the line going. You know what I mean? Yeah, like Jamie's gonna become a Targaryen. You ain't a Lannister. I'm not becoming a Lannister. You know, I don't see I don't see Danny becoming Daenerys Lannister. Like that, <laughs> that just sounds odd. You know what I mean? So maybe she she kind of flips that system on his head and is like, uh, you're taking my name, but we're doing like surnames. We're gonna be Lannister Targaryen. She's kind of like a Kardashian, right? Been, She's like, I'm not I'm not losing this name. <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah there's a branding thing involved too you know <laughs> you know how many shirts she can sell with that name i mean come on now <laughs> <laughs> but no yeah i mean it's man i still I'm, I'm really pulling for jamie on this man i'm i got my chips all in on jamie and daenerys um you know obviously you guys see Jon snow in there you guys it sounds like you guys are got Jon snow in the lead honestly uh, no well like I said, I do if he somehow turns out to be a Baratheon. Otherwise, I have Jamie Lannister in the lead. I personally connect to that character on a very personal level just because of the fact that from the first episode in the first book, which I've talked about in the chat and me and Tony were talking about, he he has so much love and is very protective over his brother. I mean, he let him out of prison for killing his father and 
He did say he'd kill him if he seen him again, but I think under these circumstances, that's going to change very quickly. And and he does watch out for his little brother because not only is it his little brother, his brother is also a dwarf, which nobody respects, and he knows he deserves more respect for that. And the same token, like I said, I do have a personal connection to him just because I have a very similar situation where my little brother actually has Down syndrome, which some people mm-hmm. kind of look at him strangely, and and it's just like I'm very protective over my brother. So I mean, absolutely. I can understand, like on a, on a, on a personal level, of how much Jamie actually cares for his brother, and you just you don't get to see too much of it. And you haven't really got to see a whole lot of that since those two split apart. Like at the time, Tyrion was the only thing that ever brought out really the good side of Jamie, and and I would just love to see those two together again. Man. Yeah, I still remember like the the scene from the first episode when um. Uh, Tyrion was in the whorehouse, you know, and Jamie comes in and is like, you know, you got to come to this feast. Don't leave me alone with these people, blah, blah, blah. And, Jamie, and uh, Tyrion's like, I'm already feasting. I have many courses to go. <laughs> Jamie's like, I thought you would say that. And he's, he's like, girls. And he brings in like the other four whores and he just kind of smiles and looks back and goes on. And that was a very endearing scene towards Jamie. Now we ended that episode with him throwing a kid out of the window. So even... Even that early in the show, you kind of saw the juxtaposition of his personality, where he can be so good and so endearing and then so evil, just Mm -hmm. with a flip of a coin, you know? And there's one thing that's always been behind him when he's evil, and that's his crazy-ass sister. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I don't think... Yeah, I think... um, Go ahead. I've got... I had had John as the front runner, but you... You guys might have switched me. I think yes. Jamie might be the front runner. I like that. I like <laughs> that ending for him. That would be a fantastic ending for him. I'm so telling you, I'd man. be a little jealous. You know, I'd be I'd be jealous <laughs> of both of them. You know, like he gets he gets Danny and Danny gets him, and I'm left out in the cold. <laughs> no one likes no, a third wheel. I'll be wheel, jealous man. of Robin Aaron if he somehow pulled it off. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, foul, if Robin Aaron pulls it off, that's like. You know, that's like the end in Lost gave us. If, if, if Robin Aaron pulls it off, I'm done with Game of Thrones. I give up on it. Yeah. I'll burn my book. <laughs> if, Robin, if Robin Aaron pulls it off, he got game. That's all I got to say. <laughs> but seriously, man, the, um, you know, the... the... I'm hungry. <laughs> oh, God. I don't even want to picture it. Um, the, 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 um... Some fucked up foreplay. <laughs> Man, the di- the dynamic that you know <clears throat> that this show has given us with Jamie has been crazy, man. Like I never, I've never, mm-hmm. I can't think back on a show where I've hated a character that much, and now at this point, like he's one of my favorites. Like I, I, I cannot think of any other yeah. characters that any other show has ever done that to me on. Like I literally hated this dude with a passion, and yeah, now a, I'm rooting for him with a passion. Bad. He was the he was the villain, the main villain, even more so than Cersei. Like he was the one rivaling Ned. You even see every interaction he had with Ned was tenuous, and you know Jamie wanted to get him out on the battlefield and wanted to fight him, and he he was the big bad of season one. You kind of seen his character grow up over this over the seasons in the books, though, too, because he was very childish in the beginning, and oh, yeah, he kind of matured throughout everything, and, and and I mean, like, yeah, like there's something about a character evolving, and. Like, I mean, it wouldn't be the first character. Well, I love Jamie from point one, but, like, a lot of people are going to give me flack for it, but 
I actually grew to love Ramsey the more I tried to hate him. <laughs> because I hated Ramsey at the beginning. And the more I hated him, the more I'm like, this guy is one of the most amazing villains I've ever seen in a show. And I started loving and that and actually rooting for him. And but yeah, I mean just the character development and some characters, especially with Jamie, it's just it's it's phenomenal writing. That that that's all that can be said about it. Listen, you loved Ramsey before he died, and you loved Jamie from episode one, which is fucked up. So you definitely, <laughs> you definitely need to be on some kind of watch, first of all, um, for sure, because those are some questionable uh, decisions there. <laughs> but James is putting all of his chips into the Night King bet. Yeah, man. <laughs> but you know, like, well, if, if Jamie were to somehow die, that's a, I'm going to have to push all in on the Night King. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> Oh man! What about Daenerys, as long as he gets like one one line, I, I'll I'll be happy. Man, just let him talk once, like like just let him look at everybody and just be like chill. Oh my god, <laughs> chill. Get the Schwarzenegger freaking Mister Free. As last time, all over my chair, dying laughing. Listen again. Just like last time, James, we have gone off the rails, my friend. We have gone off the rails. Listen, Jamie is definitely the number one bachelor. I don't care what anybody says. I'm not with that Jon Snow that Jon Snow incest stuff that you guys want to be a part of. And that's it, man. That's it. Bran is going to come. He's going to bring the White Walkers with him. He's messing shit up. And there's all kinds of messed up stuff going on, man. But... You know, we have so much to look forward to, and, you know, there's so much more to get into. Um, but, I mean, that's really all. I mean, do you have anything else, James, that you wanted to cover, um, you know, before we before we move forward here? Is there anything else that you wanted to cover that we maybe missed or skipped over? Um, there's one more thing I would like to say, and everybody always complains about Jamie pushing Bran out of the window. Do not justify well, this right now. Wouldn't we be in a better world right now if Bran would have just died on the fall what? and then the White Walkers couldn't cross over, the Three-Eyed Raven still be alive, a lot of the children of the forest still be alive, Hodor would still be walking around screaming Hodor. Unbelievable. That, that, that's my only hey. point. Yeah, nobody, nobody takes Bran's accountability in. And look, the kid heard people having sex and he still went and looked. He might have been a little bit of a pervert. <laughs> exactly. Might have had those coming to him. I mean, we do got you, you do got to pay the price for your, you know, for your actions. So, you know, there is a lesson to be learned in that. But you guys are being a little too harsh on Brand. But, you know, James, where can they find you, man? You can find me on the FL app uh, at the Omega Ginger, and you can also find me on Twitter at the Omega underscore Ginger. How's the baby coming along? Great. We need um, updates. We need updates, ultra- man. Yes, yeah, so we just had another ultrasound. Uh, the baby is up to three inches now. Uh, we actually got a photo of the baby. I'm calling it him. But uh, we got a picture of him <laughs> waving at us. And uh, that was pretty awesome. He's uh, stubborn like his father is uh, because <laughs> for the ultrasound, they needed him in certain positions. And 
he was sleeping and had his hands in front of his face and his legs crossed. And apparently it was upside down. But every time she would try to get him to move, he would just roll over to his side and then roll right back over to where he was. Nobody likes being woke up. <laughs> exactly. Look, man, if you, if you push all your chips in on the Night King, don't leave that baby in the woods. All right? Don't pull it faster. <laughs> That's all I ask. <laughs> no, seriously, I, that, man. There's nothing like it. You're going to fucking love it. Like That actually, that's, that does bring up a point, though. We're talking about having a Halloween party and doing a Game of Thrones theme, and I was thinking about talking to my wife about going as uh, what's her name that is with uh, Samwell right now. Why am I blanking oh, yeah. her name then? <laughs> and, and, and I'm going to go as Craster. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> so messed up. <laughs> we don't win costume of the night. I'd be pissed. <laughs> oh my gosh so bad this is so bad <laughs> terrible well you know where to find him ladies and gentlemen if you have any issue with anything he says you know where to find him I appreciate you coming on James I appreciate you bringing the knowledge and your predictions and like I said man if you have any shout outs anything you want to give out really quick before you go uh, just shout out to the uh, Game of Thrones chat, and uh, and uh, thank you for having me on the show. Absolutely, man. It's always a it's always a pleasure having you on. We appreciate it, and we will see you next time, my friend. All right. All right, man. Take later, care, man. James. Always brings it, even though we do <laughs> go a little off track sometimes. He's always fun to have on, right? It's what they expect. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so. Um, Let's, you know, I guess let's kind of continue our talk here on Danny a little bit um, because we did talk about, you know, her, her potential suitors, but we didn't talk so much about the actual, you know, scenes that we've seen here. Uh, we had, you know, a, a beautiful moment between her and Tyrion um, where basically she makes her, you know, the ha- makes him, excuse me, him, the hand of the queen, um, which obviously was very important to Tyrion. He took it obviously very seriously. Um, and we have a really interesting conversation here about, um, you know, belief. Um, uh, I, I guess, you know, Tyrion, he, it's, it's a big deal because he's saying, I never, my whole life I've been told to believe in stuff and I never did, but here I am and I believe in you. Um, how, how important do you think it was for Daenerys to hear that from him? Um, I think it was, Usually important, you know. I think that speech that he gave her really solidified her belief that he is the right person to be the hand of the queen. That he does, he is fully committed to me. Because I mean, Tyrion, she doesn't hasn't known him for very long. You know, he wasn't there very long before she left, and she hasn't been back very long. Uh, I think more time has passed than maybe we saw on the show. You know, because they they did put big dragons on the front of them ships and shit like that. So <laughs> yeah. Maybe they've had more time to counsel with each other. But this was a beautiful moment. Tyrion is my favorite character, has been since basically the show began. And it brought tears to my eyes being able to see this because this is everything Tyrion wanted. He's wanted to be somebody important. He, he's known since the beginning that his mind was his weapon and that he could make a difference and could be better. And I always point back to my favorite Tyrion season is season two when he was 
back in Hand of the King because you saw Tyrion in his element. This is where he belongs. He belongs as the right hand of a ruler, helping them, helping guide them, helping run the land. That's Tyrion's element. And to see that finally fulfilled after six years and after everything he's been through and all the mocking and all of that that he got his entire life, to see him finally realize this dream was, it was just beautiful to watch. Yeah, and, and, and imagine, you know, the looks on his sister's face or his brother's face. Oh, yeah. Uh, when he comes back. On the ships with dragons. Yeah, <laughs> when he comes back with the mother of dragons um, yeah. to basically kill them or, you know, to take their throne from them, whatever that may, you know, entail, um, that's going to be a pretty awesome scene. I can only imagine yeah, I hope, how awesome that's going to be. I hope they have a face-off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think, I think both of them probably think that he's, somewhere in Essos pouring and drinking. Like, I, I think that might have, might even be one of the reasons that they haven't seen if he's in Marine, because I don't think they expect that. They probably have assassins going to every brothel throughout Westeros thinking that he's just drinking his sorrows away. But that's not the case, you know. So for them to see him come back in a seat of power and actually helping to overthrow them, will be fascinating to watch yeah and, and also we see uh um we see varies right at the end of this very end of the episode on the boat um with with them um which we seen yeah. him a little earlier in the episode and he would looks like he was forming an alliance for daenerys um which we were a little concerned about when he left right because the masters attacked right away we're like hold on did you know did he switch on them or something here um but he obviously was out there forming a, a very important alliance for Daenerys. Um, you know, it's kind of like the world against Cersei at this point, against the Lannisters at this point. Um, yeah. and, and we see that. Did, did you expect that? Uh, no, I didn't. You know, when, when, as the scene was unfolding, like probably maybe a minute or so before Varys actually walked out, I was like, oh, maybe this is where this is going. But I didn't. I didn't think that this way he was going. Like I said, I positively that maybe he was behind it. I'm glad he's not because Barry's and Tyrion, their dynamic has been one of my favorite parts of the show and their friendship. And I'd hate to see that go south. But yeah, I, I, you have the Reach, which is one of the biggest armies, Thorne, which is one of the best strategic locations as far as um, like it, it's very hard to conquer. You know, I think that's, I, I, I personally think that's where they're heading. A lot of people think they're going directly to King's Landing. I don't. I think they're going to land in Dorne first, then move their way north. But that alliance is going to be hugely important because you have two major houses of Westeros already on your side. And like you said, so she's, it's her against the world. She has no allies left. So I think that'll be really fun to watch. But and you actually see there's been a, a shift of power from the men to the women of this show. You know, you have the Dorns run by women now. Lady Olenna is the only person in her house left. So that whole house is run by a woman and now Danny. So you see this alliance of women going to take out a woman. And six seasons ago, that would have been unfathomable. This entire world was run by men. Yeah. And you, you've watched that power shift. that has been really, really cool to watch unfold. You know what I mean? Even... even... Sansa, Arya, they're all kind of coming into positions of power in, in exactly, a sense yeah. uh, within their own life. Um, do you think that is a response to the the criticism they got after the whole, you know, Sansa being raped and everything? Or do you think this was in the plans kind of all along? 
I think this is kind of the way it was planned out all along. I think that's kind of maybe what empowered them to do the Santa scene is that they knew that they had this coming. You know what I mean? So they knew uh, we're going to get some backlash for this for being a sexist show for only showing women in position of weakness, you know, and, but we're going to show them that that's not the show we have. Yeah. So I think that, like I said, I think that empowered them to be able to do some, make some of the decisions that they've made because they knew that, they had a big feminism swing, uh, swing essentially coming later on in the show. Yeah, because I, I would hate if it was a, a reaction. Yeah, you know I mean, I I understand. You know, yeah, sometimes I, I understand. Sometimes yeah, you you know reaction. you create waves and you got to kind of smooth it over. But I don't like um, you know reactionary things where it becomes like the whole mm. thing is to fix that you know that that thing you did. But yeah, um, like you said, hopefully it was in the plans all along. <laughs> um. um Someone else who had, you know, had had not a lot of, um, you know, screen time this week, but it, it was enough um, for us to get him where he got was Sam. Um, he made it to old mm-hmm. old town, um, where obviously women are not allowed, but books are, um, because there was a whole lot of books up in there, and no women, of course. <laughs> um, what what <laughs> what do you think the um, the importance, you know, going forward? Obviously, it's important because they showed us it. So. What do you think the importance of this whole, you know, him be finally getting there and, and what he's going to learn there? Where, where do you think this plays in, you know, in future seasons? I think um, Sam will be another carrier of knowledge. You know, I mentioned with James that I think that maybe he finds out uh, that John is legitimized or something along those lines through the books. Maybe he finds, maybe he's the one, not Brand, that finds another weakness in the White Walkers, you know? But we see in this season characters becoming who they were supposed to be. You know, they're, they're, they're all home. They're all, you know, John's running the North and, you know, is being idolized. Uh, Cersei is basically the mad queen. Daenerys is going to conquer. Uh, Tyrion is the hand of the queen. Like everybody's really realizing their role. And that's the way it was with Sam. I thought it was really cool. It was kind of like a, a comedic palate cleanser, you know, from all of the destruction before we got into more of the heavier stuff. Yeah. So I, th- I thought it was a real funny scene, you know, like Sam's always good for kind of the, the awkward, you know, moments and things like that. But yeah, I think like when he walked into that, to the Citadel and into the library, that was the look on his face was I'm home. This is where I belong. Absolutely. And, and, you know, you, you made a good point with everybody kind of finding their place, kind of finding, um, their their niche, their spot where they belong. Um, the one wild card to me, man, is still Jamie. Yeah, I mean, we we've we've watched him for all these seasons, for six seasons, mm-hmm. try to find his way, and you know, as soon as he thinks he's found it, you know, everything seems to be settling down. He's going back home now to his sister that he loves so much, um, much more than we all love our own sisters, and um, you know, he 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 sees something totally different than what he expected to see when he got mm-hmm. there. And so he looks like he's in a lot of conflict. Um, so the one character oh, yeah. that, you, you know, see, is certainly a wild card is him, right? I mean. Oh, yeah, definitely. You see you see that when in his conversation with Walter, Walter Frey. You know, when, when Walter is sitting there saying, we're the same, me and you, you know, they snicker, but we don't care because we're in power and things like that. The thought of being uh, equated to Walter Frey was disgusting to him. Yep. You just see that by the look on his face. You know, and that's that's Jamie. You know, Jamie wants to be more than he is, but he has these things pulling him down. And I think it, all of us have been in that scene. You know, when we 
we see somebody that's maybe a worse person or like thought not not even like class wise, but we just we don't want to be that person, but we see part of ourselves in them. And it's kind of an awakening moment, like, oh shit, what am I becoming? You know, and I think that speech with Walter Frey was an awakening moment for him. Yeah, because you know Walter Frey is saying, like, look at all the you know the the things that we've done and that we're still standing. But at the same time, Jamie is like, you know, he's not really proud of those things. And then also, he's he's actually you know kind of pulling um, you know his cards, saying, you know, you, you're not mm-hmm. you, you fought in so many battles, right? You're such a warrior or whatever, and kind of you know yeah, challenging him. Shit. Yeah, um, and saying, you know, what what is it, you know, what is the worth of River Run to us, you having it, if every time you lose it, we have to come back and get it for you, and, um, mm-hmm. you know, really, really, um, you know, really knocks him down, in a sense, uh, with that, and it, it, was, it was definitely interesting dialogue, again, one of those things that may go overlooked, because it was such a great episode, um, but it definitely mm-hmm. served its importance, you know, again, with the, you know, the way ca- the character of Jamie is evolving, like you said, Um and speaking of Walter Frey, uh, man, Walter Frey got got. <laughs> he got got, man. Uh, he he was definitely on my list. I don't know if you remember. Uh, I think it was last week. We we kind of have our own little list that we put together. Um, yeah, people want to die. Yeah, yep. Yeah, yeah you called that. Man. Yeah, he was yep. on there. So uh, how happy were you? <laughs> <laughs> so he was on there. Um, and what a cool way for it to happen, right? Um, I I'll go to be the first on the record. I did not expect that at all. Um, as far as it being Arya. Um, that that totally yeah, too. took me by surprise. Um, when I seen, you know, obviously before that we seen Jamie looking at Arya, um, you know, not Arya, but who she was, you know, wearing the face of. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And so I thought, oh, maybe Jamie like hired this girl to go kill him or something. That's what I thought at first because obviously I knew something was up when it's just her in there, him in the room. And I'm yeah. thinking, you know, maybe Jamie sent her to kill him or something. But I definitely didn't expect, you know, it to be Arya um, under that. Um, what a you know, funny scene almost too. And he's like, where are my sons? And she's like, well, he's here. Well, they're here. You know what I mean? Uh, that, that was really, yeah, that was masterfully (laughs) done. Um, as far as, as far as her doing that, cause it kind of confused some people, um, with her doing that because everyone said, well, I thought she can't do that. She left that. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. is, is it something, you know, showing us that she took the skills that she learned there and can still use them even though she's not part of that? Is that what we're seeing here or? Yeah, I think, like, I've, I've mentioned before on this spot a few times that Arya has all these teachers, you know, that she had Tyrion Pharrell, she had the Hound, and then she had Jockin, and all these people taught her different skill sets. Well, I do think that she's going with the faces. I don't know if maybe Jockin gave her some faces and was like, here's some, some pretty ladies that you can go around as that are kind of your size, and, you know, you can do this yourself. Or maybe she learned enough of the process that she killed those women on the way and took their faces, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, that's kind of a, that's kind of a fucked up way of looking at it, I guess, <laughs> that Arya was murdering people for their faces, but this is a fucked up transition for Arya. Like, she, the look on her face when she was killing Walter Frey was very menacing. Like, this is not the little girl Arya, this is not the noble Stark, this is a vengeful demon yep. that is going to be coming through to just to to take people out you know like i'm i'm very much looking forward to next season us getting the hopefully getting the her and john reuniting you know um because they were always the closest of those two you know they they had the closest bond of any of them even i mean john gave her a needle you know yeah but is john going to like who she's become 
You know what I mean? Is she going to be too bloodthirsty for him? You know, if he's sitting there and he's getting counsel from people, is she just going to be, let's just kill them all, let's just kill them all? So I'm, I'm really interested to see how that plays out and how her character does going forward. Absolutely. And so we, we there's also um, some characters that are kind of, um, okay, like for instance, um, we didn't see Brienne at all ever since the Blackfish, yeah. um, which to me is interesting because, you know, someone can say, I guess, well, it's going to take her a long time to get back, but we see that uh, people move, you know, in super speed around here. So yeah. I, I found it interesting that we didn't see her come back um, to Winterfell at all yet. Um, again, I, 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 for some reason, I still feel like she's going to bump into the Hound or the Brotherhood Without Banners or something. Um, and then we also seen, you know, John send off Melisandre, um, who, which is an, is another thing again, you know, they may get overlooked in this. Um, but you know, maybe I, I feel like every time I see someone leave Winterfell or, you know, is down there in the North somewhere, I feel like they're all going to bump into the brotherhood without banners. Um, yeah, uh, I it, actually, it makes sense, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's what's going to happen with Melisandre. Um, I could still definitely see your theory about Brienne happening that, that she bumps into them and maybe they're all going the same way. But I do think, I don't think, Melisandre is no longer loyal to John. You know what I mean? Like, I think she's going to go south. She's still going to call his name. She's still going to try to kind of rally troops to his cause. Maybe that's why he sent herself. Maybe he knew that she had a role to play in that fact. I think he thinks that she has a larger role to play. That's why he didn't just kill her. But maybe that was part of it. You know, this person can go south and kind of propagandize for me and tell people of the threat that is up here. So I could see her meeting up with, like, Doris of Mir and Beret Dondarrion, and they're automatically going to respect her because she's a high priestess of Ro- uh, Lonor. Exactly. Uh, Lonor, however you pronounce that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but she's she's a, a high priestess. That, so they're automatically going to respect her, and maybe she calls them to a cause. You know, we don't know. I know three of the guys got killed, but we don't know how many people the Brotherhood Without Banners have in their, their camp now, so maybe they can add a decent force. Maybe they're going to go around the Riverlands because they're probably thought of pretty high in the Riverlands as kind of the Robin Hoods, you know, so they can go throughout and say we need fighting men to come join this cause and kind of spread the word that way in the South. So I definitely, I think that that's where Melisandre is heading. I think she'll be meeting up with them next season. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I definitely don't think she's gone. I definitely think she serves a bigger role. And, and, and like you said, um, you know, maybe John still believes in her. Um, I don't think she's going to stop believing in John because, you know, everything that we've seen with her, whether it's burning children, whether it's being wrong on so many accounts, um, whether it's, you know, no matter what it is, she always believes in the Lord of Light and that, you know, he's making her do things for a reason. And, you know, clearly um, she believes that she's in John's life for a reason. So, um, you know, I I don't see her losing that. That's the thing we didn't talk about with with James when we were talking about Winterfell was the, the scene with Davos. That was that was so well done and so emotional and to finally see him like that that actor, I don't know who plays Davos, but that was a, an amazing monologue that he gave when he was talking about Shireen and how much he loved her and like you could really you could feel it, you know, like I it made me instantly hate Melisandre again. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yep. I instantly, because I kind of, I was like, hey, you bring John back, you're, you're kind of good in my book. But once I, once Davos kind of reminded me of what she did, it's like, oh, shit, that's why I hated this. Exactly. You know, like, <laughs> and it was just, it was very emotionally affecting, because, you know, I got kids, you know what I mean? And I, I actually have a stepson that I love like he was my own son, and I, I know how you can 
love a child that isn't quote unquote yours right. as your own. You know, so I that was definitely moving for me. Yeah, and I love when he said, you know, if I if I find if I catch you myself, I'll, I'll kill you myself. You know what I mean, like, yeah, there's oh, no, yeah, he's will. not playing around <laughs> at all. So it's gonna be interesting, you know, if she does come back in the picture for John, how that works. You know what I mean, because Davos kind of seems like John's, you know, right right hand man, right? I mean, that's who he is at this point. Oh, right? Yeah, yeah, I think he'll be, I think he'll be the hand of the king uh, here shortly. I right. can see him sliding right back into that role. But yeah, I don't. I don't think Melisandre is stupid enough to go back north. Not unless there's like a gigantic battle going and she has to. You know what I mean? I think she realizes that if I go north, it's going to be my death. So I think even if she sends the Brotherhood without Banners north, I don't think she goes north with them. I so you see her going south regardless? Maybe, yeah, yeah. I could see her maybe realizing that her role is to just be like a, a propaganda machine and to go throughout the lands and tell everybody what's going on up north. You know, she could realize that that's how she needs to serve. But yeah, I don't think she's dumb enough. She she knows Davos ain't playing. She's looking at that. He ain't fucking around. Nah, he's definitely not for sure. Well, I mean, I I do want to, you know, the, the 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 biggest, you know, the biggest scene that we've had here or the biggest event that we had on this episode um, was you know transpired at King's Landing, and it got pretty crazy, um, and it happened you know straight out the gate. Um, the, the, a lot of people died, and it got nuts. And so I want to bring on another guest for us to discuss this. So um, we actually this is our second guest on one episode, man. This is the first time for us, so it's pretty, <laughs> pretty, pretty big, pretty big. Um, I want to, I want to, um, you know, bring on Matt. Uh, you may know him on either Twitter or the, uh, the Fantasy Life app as uh, Nighthawk seven seven three four. Obviously, a huge Game of Thrones. Uh, fanatic like ourselves has the Game of Thrones chat on there, and so we're gonna welcome him on, and we're gonna go ahead and, and just basically talk about you know everything that's transpired at King's Landing, um, and, and you know you know what we'll keep Matt on the line, and we'll kind of go into other things you know as far as predictions and um, you know how we see things playing out, and just just Game of Thrones you know stuff in general. So let's go ahead and uh, bring Matt on the line, aka Nighthawk seven seven three four, and that's on the FL app and on Twitter. Welcome to the show, Night or Matt. How you doing? I'm doing great. You know, very excited to be here. It's almost uh, as thrilling as Sunday night's finale. Absolutely. And I almost called you night there, man. I'm used to, you know, Twitter and the, and, and the <laughs> app. <laughs> uh, so, um, you know, there's a couple of things that we're going to talk with you about. Um, and so we'll start uh, actually with King's Landing and kind of, you know, a whole, obviously a whole bunch happened there. And so... Um, wherever you want to start, I'm kind of good with because there's so much that took place. Um, but I just want to kind of jump into that with you. Um, you know, I guess let's start from the beginning. You know, my 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 biggest like regret of that whole scene is obviously like you know uh, all you know people dying, especially um, you know Margaret knowing it's like she knew something bad was happening and she kind of got stuck in there and everything. Um, h- how do you feel about that whole you know the whole courtroom as you would call it? I guess scene there starting it off. Well, I mean, typically, uh, everybody knows that in Game of Thrones, they can want to be there for the ninth episode of the season. It's a 10-episode season, and always the episode before the finale is where the big things happen. And last week, we got delivered this episode that was so huge and epic in scope and scale. And what happened, it was hard to imagine how the finale could ever top that. And right away, you get dropped into this incredibly 
dense cinematic scene. The music was perfect. The tone was perfect. It's building, building, building. You know something's going to happen. And then when it finally happened, it was incredible. I've seen a lot of people liken that sequence uh, to the part in the movie The Godfather where Michael Corleone is going to uh, the baptism of his niece and he settles all his family debts. And it was kind of similar in tone there because you have this religious ceremony taking place and that's, you know, the backdrop for Cersei basically wiping out all of her enemies and all of the people that stood in her way and consolidating power. It was incredible and incredibly unexpected the way it happened. You know, I think a lot of us thought that she was going to do something, but who knew it was going to be like that and how brutal it was going to be. I saw online today that this is the episode that's killed the most named characters in the history of the show, and 60 episodes in a show that's not ever been shy about being uh, pretty violent, and that's quite a statement to have made. Right, absolutely. And, you know, Tony, obviously, you know, me and you had talked uh, predictions, you know, for a few episodes now leading up to this. And, you know, you kind of throw out there the whole wildfire idea. Um, I know a lot of other people, yeah. you know, had mentioned it on the Internet and everything. Did you expect it to go the way it went, though, on the show? Did you expect, like, the people, all those people to die, like the ones that were actually in there? Or did it did it actually, you know, supersede what even you thought would happen? Yeah, I was totally surprised by kind of the way it went down. I thought that Cersei was going to die, and I thought it was going to be kind of another case of Cersei making a mistake, being um, ignorant to a power that she can't control, just like she was with Faith Militant, just like she has been in the past. And just to kind of echo what Matt's, Matt was saying, that sequence in the beginning was amazing. It shows the kind of finesse that uh, Miguel Sapochnik has to be able to direct the Battle of the Bastards episode and that brutal, violent fight scene and then go into this like toned down, still very brutal, but just the, the way that he shot it and like 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 Matt said, the music and the way the whole sequence to see him getting ready and things like that was just amazing. Like that, I, I said it last week and I'll say it again. If that guy doesn't start getting movie deals soon, then Hollywood's fucking up because that was <laughs> just beautiful directing. Yeah. Beautiful. And, and, but yeah, I didn't, I didn't see it going down like that. Like I, I predicted for some reason I thought Marjorie got out. I think that had more to do with the fact that, um, they seem to be kind of building up this, that she was, working for the Tyrells and like she gave Lady Olena the note and things like that. And I thought she had a bigger plan ahead, but I think maybe part of that was just to kind of fool us into thinking that she was going to be a bigger part of the show forward just to make that punch that much more impactful. Yeah. And e- either one of you can correct me if I'm wrong, but we didn't hear that music that opened up that show ever before. Right. No, not that no, I-, I think that was a new piece. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was going to say, I, and, never, I didn't you know, sound familiar. Yeah. I think we're seeing, too, that uh, Marjorie was victim to the same mistake that Cersei made at one point, which is that she put too much uh, faith in the High Sparrow. I think her grand plan that she was working on is she thought the High Sparrow was going to be able to control Tommen and help her to take Cersei out. Once she got rid of the trial by combat, I think she thought, hey, this is my path to victory, not realizing the lengths at which Cersei would go. And I and I also think that was a big moment, too, because um, once Ramsey was eliminated at the end of Episode 9, the big question became, who's going to be that that villain that we need, that overpowering uh, 
stuff done. There were a few people that, you know, we wouldn't have mind seeing go, uh, you know, Walter Frey or the High Sparrow or something or Littlefinger, but nobody that really rose to that level. And I think after we saw Cersei wipe out all those people and after the, the bitterness and the darkness in her soul after she lost her son, her last living child, I think she ascends to that role for next season. Oh yeah, 100%. And I think, like I've seen, the way that I saw the, the scene kind of play out, you see Marjorie realize that Cersei has fooled them. Like, Marjorie realizes kind of the the cunning and the actual underlying intelligence, even if she has made some dumb mistakes in the past, she's still a Lannister, she still learned from Tywin of Cersei. Whereas I think the, the Sparrow, I think he was ignorant to that fact. And you see, like, I think he was expecting Cersei not to show up when, because he didn't look very surprised when Cersei wasn't there. He just told his straight militant to go get her. So I think he was expecting her to not come. He was like, all right, well, I'm probably going to have to send some guys. Some dude's probably going to get killed by the mountain, but I'm going to bring her here anyway. So I don't think he was surprised by her not being there, and that kind of clouded his judgment when it came to that she had a larger plan all along. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. And, and and the one thing I like about Wildfire Deaths is there's no rumors whether someone's still alive or not. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, yeah. every, every time someone dies off screen or, or, you know, some way we're like, oh, you know, he may still be alive. But after a wildfire death, nobody is questioning whether anybody in that building is alive. Um, so that's a good thing about wildfire. Um now, um, you know, with this, we also, you know, a death that we haven't mentioned yet is, is Toman, the king, right? He, uh, he basically, you know, walks right out of a window. <laughs> um, did, did anybody see that coming? I, I had predicted uh, that Tommen was going to die. I kind of like Tony thought that it was going to be Cersei having a plan that backfired and got them both killed. So I wasn't so surprised that he died in the episode, but I was kind of surprised the way he went out. Um, but it was somewhat fitting for that character. He never really seemed to have much spine or will of his own. He was often the puppet of uh, whoever was the most influential person in his life. It was his mother at first, and then Marjorie, and then the High Sparrow, and I think he just felt lost. Yeah, you see all of his mentors kind of get wiped out one false swoop. And the the way that scene was beautiful, too, like him watching the aftermath and then just calmly going and setting down the crown and it's kind of just setting on the the step of Baylor crumbling and the smoke rising up and then all of a sudden you just see him come back in the frame and jump out the window. Like, part of me thought, oh shit, is he going to jump? Like, I was kind of thinking that when I saw him walk off camera, but Still, the way that it, it happened, it was still very impactful. Even though part of my brain was like, "Oh shit, this is about to happen," it's still watching it happen was very shocking. Yeah. No. Yeah. And and they filmed, and they, they fair, cut that well. Go ahead, to be Matt. Fair, if you were married to Marjorie and you saw Marjorie go up in flames, you might oh, yeah. think about ending it all too. Yeah, you're not coming up from that. Come on now. Have you seen the rest <laughs> of the women in Westeros? Come on now. Not a lot. Am of They've got some in Essos that might rival it, but there ain't none in Westeros that's going to rival it. <laughs> no, and and the one thing you know I liked about his death was that 
it was, I mean, I'm trying to think of the best word for it, but, you know, I would say it was kind of like an emotional death instead of like, you know, this sword, you know, this, you know, this, you know, violent, you know, because he, he's not like a fighter in any way, you know what I mean? So the way he went out was fitting. Like, I, no one wants to see someone stick a sword through Tommen or anything, you know what I mean? It just doesn't make sense, you know what I mean? So, you know, him walking off of a window, out a window, you know, kind of fit well, you know, with him as far as, you know, the way he had to die. Um, and so kind of moving this all along, um, obviously a bunch of people died obviously um this was all you know concocted by cersei and it was a master plan um not one that we any of us really seen coming as far as to that extent um at the end of the episode you know we see jamie come back and he and he's looking at her taking the throne basically and you know in my opinion he he doesn't look happy um obviously we know jamie lives for her i mean it's really kind of the only thing he cares about and he makes that very obvious, you know, throughout this, you know, every season, basically. Um, do, do either one of you, I saw with Matt, I mean, do you feel like he was unhappy? And do you think that um, going into next season that that does, you know, continue to, you know, to play out? Or do you think that, um, as always, he kind of just falls back into, you know, the Cersei whole love thing? Well, I know uh, where they are in the, the book, they've had a falling out. They made that abundantly clear, so that that kind of played into my mind. The show had done it a little bit differently, but there's been a uh, theory that was forwarded uh, that we've answered about in the chat several times about uh, Jamie being ending up being the one that actually takes Cersei out, kind of completing his circle as the Kingslayer. You know, he started out taking out the Mad King because the Mad King threatened to destroy a lot of innocent people just to consolidate power. And I think when he's looking at the smoking ruin of the Sept, when he's coming in, you kind of start seeing that over his face. And then he walks in, sees the ceremony where she's managed to take power for herself. I think there's a real disconnect between the two of them. And I think that's kind of the road where it's headed. He's either going to turn on her in terms of joining somebody else, leaving, or I've, actually putting a lot of credence into the theory that at some point next season he's the one that takes her out because he's one of the few people that would be able to be close enough to her to do that right tony tony do you agree with that or exactly yeah um especially when you think about she has the mountain so he's the only person that would be able to go into a bed chamber and be able to be one and one-on-one with her but if you want to you want to give the spoiler warning for a second for anybody that hasn't read the books yeah, spoiler alert in five, four, three, two, one. Go ahead. Okay, I think, and Matt probably knows what I'm talking about. I think um, Jamie is the Valen card. Um, when Maggie the Frog, remember when we opened season five, you see the Maggie the Frog prophecy, and the show hasn't shown the second part of that prophecy. I don't know if they ever intend to, or if that's something they're leaving out for speculation for like, like the millions of people that haven't read the books that have only watched the show but the second part of the, the prophecy is um then the valen car will wring his hands around your neck and choke the life out of you basically after she's seen all of her kids die valen car is a high valerian word for little brothers now a lot of people have speculated that this means Tyrion. even Cersei thought it meant Tyrion. that's one of the reasons she's always hated Tyrion. that's one of the reasons that she's wanted to hunt Tyrion so feverishly is that she wants to prevent this from uh, going on. She actually, th- there's a lot of theories too that it was the Hound. That was a lot of where um, Clegane Bowl came from. That the Hound would basically kind of 
he, he would kill her by killing the mountain in the trial by combat. Now, we know that's not going to happen. But technically speaking, Jamie is her little brother. They're twins, but Jamie was born second. So he is her little brother. So I think that Jamie is the Valen car, and he will eventually kind of, will get kind of the tearful choking of Cersei uh, come next season. Interesting, and 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 do you, do you guys think, and this is not necessarily um, a King's Landing thing per se, but do you guys still think, um, with whatever seasons are left here for us, the next two or whatever it is, um, do you think there's any chance still that the Hound and his brother, the Mountain, fight at all? Like not not necessarily, you know, obviously that you know that specific trial thing has gone out the window, but do you think at any point they do come um, to blows? I think we could see it, but I don't necessarily, I don't think so, no, um, Matt, unfortunately, because I really want that to happen, but I don't see it happening, personally. Yeah. Matt, do you see it happening? I I don't really see it happening either. Um, I think that they have too much ground to cover and too many other things to accomplish. Exactly. Um, and that that's really not going to be, because you got to remember the, I'm pretty sure uh, at some point next season, we're going to see the folks from King's Landing battling a ginormous army sailing across the sea. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And I just think, I don't think the, the Brotherhood Without Banners is heading that way. So I don't think the Hound is heading that way. I think he's with them. I think the Brotherhood Without Banners will probably head north. You see um, Bellisandra heading south. So I think that they'll probably be heading north. So then the Hound will be heading north to kind of get involved in that fray, not necessarily down in the, gotcha. in the King's Landing mess. Gotcha. And for those who are still worried, the spoiler alert is over, by the way. Um, yeah. So <laughs> I always forget to come back to that. Um, yeah, we're always back to that. <laughs> so um, b- before we leave, you know, the whole King's Landing thing, is there anything that I'm missing, guys, that is really important to touch on here as far as King's Landing and what took place or anything that maybe we might have missed? Anything at all that you guys could think of, Matt, maybe offhand, anything that, you know, you really need to touch on before we switch over to something else? I think just the idea of who, what allies she have left, the siege that's coming to King's Landing might be pretty short. It's uh, her, the mountain, Tyburn, and probably not a whole lot of people that are excited to be part of her team. She killed off a lot of her family in that uh, in that big well. I mean, she took out Uncle Kevin and cousin Lancel, and uh, her brother doesn't look like he's her biggest fan, so hard to imagine who she's going to be able to rally to have fights for her. Exactly, yeah, I agree with that 100%. I think they're setting the scene for a Targaryen regime to be more welcome excuse me, than it might have been you know, maybe five years ago when people weren't as disenfranchised with the, the current regime. Um, so I think you're going to see a lot of the people in King's Landing, because remember a lot of people died in the, the Sept of Baylor, not just the people in the room, you're also thinking the people outside of it, like that that explosion impacted a lot of the streets. So she might be able to scare the populace now, but that's going to subside. Fear doesn't always stay with you. It kind of, it, it gets lessened over time, you know, just like grief and all that. So people are going to be angry at her. So you're going to see when, if Danny does go there first, I, I personally think she's going to join, but if she does go to King's Landing first, you might see the people in the seat, the street saying, thank God we're getting somebody besides Cersei here 
and basically welcoming them in with open arms. And the mountain is a hard ass, but he can't beat a dragon. So <laughs> I was just gonna say that. I was just gonna say three. Yeah. <laughs> I was just gonna say that, you know, the mountain might be the baddest man in King's Landing, but not nothing nothing on a giant on a dragon when it comes through, you know what I mean? Yep. So um yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you guys. I don't, I don't see any, you know, really any real allies for her unless, you know, they throw something at us. But I don't, I don't, I don't see any anything that, um, you know, makes me confident that she's gonna hold that throne for for very long. Um, <clears throat> actually, kind of a question actually with that. Um, just out of curiosity, if you if you're saying she's gonna lose the throne or that you think she's gonna die, whatever the case may be, um, we we know the uh, the seasons going forward are, are gonna be shorter. Um, how far in, how many, how many episodes do you think we have to wait for something like that to happen for, for Cersei to die or, you know, to lose the throne, that kind of stuff? How, how, how long do you think they're going to drag that out? And either one of you, I guess Matt can go first and then Tony. Well, so personally, uh, I've said this a few times, uh, the way I see it, we're looking at, um, two more shortened seasons. Season seven is supposed to be seven episodes. Season eight will be six episodes. That was uh, confirmed by HBO and people working on the show. I saw a big story about it today. So what was long rumor is facts. Now we're kind of moving forward. My my feeling has been for a long time that season seven is going to be the battle for control of Westeros, and season eight is going to be the unified forces fighting the Night King, who is probably really the ultimate villain. Um, you know, the Army of the Dead. So I think. The battle for King's Landing and eliminating Cersei will happen somewhere probably about the midpoint of Season 7. And then the back half of Season 7 is going to be John in the North and Danny's army, I think, joining together. I don't really see them ending up fighting each other because I think they'll have to come together for a common enemy. So... That that was has been my prediction for a while of where I think we're going with the last two seasons, thirteen episodes. Gotcha, Antonio. Yeah, I, I agree with Matt. I um the way I actually see it happening later next season. Um, but I do I do agree with his point that it's the it's the battle of Westeros and then after that it's the the battle against the Night King. Because I, I think it'll probably be like the penultimate episode. I can see that happening. Um and then kind of the last episode is, is setting the thing in motion. Because remember, the thing with the, the battle against the White Walkers is we're not going to get kind of, you know, the, the juxtaposition between both sides and playing with these shades of gray and things like that. We have kind of like an ultimate evil villain. Now, there isn't a lot of dialogue, and we're not going to see like war room councils and things like that with the Night's King like we have in the past with previous battles. So they're not going to be able to drag it out for as long as they have, you know, the past five seasons, because it's, it's basically just a, you know, black and white situation and how does it unfold? I think that's part of the reason why the last season is only going to be six episodes because every episode is going to cost a lot of money. Like it'll probably still be the most expensive season just between the CGI and things like that. So they're, they're just not going to be able to drag that war out. Like they have been able to the past, you know, five seasons. And a lot of people point out like, well, we have so much ground to cover and how are they going to do this in only 13 episodes when it took X amount of time to get to this point. And the only, you know, we're just now really settling the war of the five Kings and things like that. But when you have that many people and you can show that many sides and you can have the dialogue and you can have Tywin, you can have all and Ramsey and all these different villains, 
you're able to drag that out longer. You're not going to get that with the Night King. So I, I think like next ep- next season will be the the battle for Westeros ultimately with Cersei's death and possibly Jaime and um, a few of those other guys, and then you're going to see the consolidation of forces against the Night King, and that'll be the final season. Gotcha, gotcha. All right, interesting. Um, now. I do want to ask you guys, uh, let's leave King's Landing here for, for a second. Um, where do you feel, and like I said, I'll start with Matt, where, where do you feel this season ranks in all the other seasons that, you know, came before it? Do, do you, I'm sure many people, because it's fresh in our minds, um, is going to say number one because we're in the moment. Um, but do you feel that that's justified, or do you think still, after all we've been through this season, that another season still holds rank over it? Well, I think there's two ways you can always look when you're evaluating things. The subjective, which is how you feel about it, and then trying to look for objective metrics. And I think with both cases, uh, it would be impossible to make a case against this being the best complete season. Uh, You can have debates, and we have frequently on the app, about what is still the best episode. And I think that's sometimes where recency bias can come in I always like to sit with episodes for a little more than one or two weeks before I declare that they were the best episode of the series. But in terms of an overall season, just looking at how much was accomplished in these episodes, you know, early in the season, you have Don coming back. We all thought he was coming back, but when the moment when he actually came back, how great that was, the way Danny got her army, uh, the Dothraki army, you know, the resolution of that storyline was kind of unexpected and very inspiring. We had the door episode, which was incredibly powerful and incredibly emotional. And that was just kind of in the middle of the season. You almost forget about it a little bit after everything that came in those last three episodes that were just like a race to the finish. The wrapping up of Arya's storyline in Bravos, episode nine, two incredible battle pieces. You know, we focus a lot on the battle between John and Ramsey for Winterfell, which was, you know, very hyped up and something everyone was looking forward to. But that episode started with a pretty incredible battle piece in Marine, too. And then that finale, which was incredibly epic. So from a subjective standpoint, you know, the emotions and what happened, it's easy to say it was the best. But then you look at, at other things, too. Uh, on Internet Movie Database, people can vote for episodes. You score it from 1 to 10. Uh, Battle of the Bastards became the first episode in the show's history to score a perfect 10. Um, The previous high was 9.9. Well, Winds of Winter, which was the finale, also scored a perfect 10 in voting, and it became the first show ever to have two perfect 10 episodes, according to voters, in a single season. I think that is just an incredible achievement that speaks to the way this team has been able to deliver uh, creatively on George R. R. Martin's vision and to deliver with fans who are incredibly passionate, waiting to see what was going to happen. So this was a realization of things that people from the that are book readers were looking forward to, people who are just fans of the show were looking forward to, and they were just incredible action set pieces, better than any of the movies I've seen so far this summer. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, definitely, you know, kudos to everyone involved, you know what I mean, in this this season, um, directors, actors, I mean, literally everybody, because at some point or another, you know, every one of them hit hit home runs this season, and, you know, 
you know, we always go down to like the storyline and stuff, but we can never take away, you know, how it was, you know, how it was shot, the music that came involved, you know, all, all these little things, um, you know, played played a huge part in you know what made this season so special and, and a previous you know episode special and you know that's something that kind of gets um you know forgotten and, and kind of lost in the mix of all these you know crazy emotional swings and battle scenes they put us through um tony do you do you agree that this is you know pretty much hands down the best season or or is there something else that you think takes over yeah i i do agree i think that this will go down as the best season you know um we define so much of how we we rank things and how we feel about things about how they stick the landing. You know, we'll, we'll talk a little bit later about this, but like, like breaking bad is so highly thought of in television lore. Cause you kind of forget some of the walls and you just think about, you know, seasons four and the, the two part season five and the way that that show ended and how it just stuck a perfect landing. Whereas like lost kind of gets uh, downgraded because of the way it, it broke the landing. And this season is that way, you know, this season stuck the landing perfectly the last two episodes were amazing there were some issues with this season like um i didn't like how story how Arya's storyline ended in bravos you know I've, after two years of investment i didn't like that so this season still had its issues but every season has its issues i think the um the other seasons that come to mind when i think of the best seasons ever are season four where you had you know joffrey's death and you had the whole Tyrion storyline and you had the uh, the mountain of the viper episode and, and all those and actually Season one is still one of my favorite episodes, uh, favorite seasons, just because it set up the world so beautifully. You have the entire storyline thinking that, you know, Ned's the hero, Ned's the hero, Ned's the hero. Oh, shit, Ned's dead. What are we going to go into now? You know what I mean? It kind of set the tone for the series as a whole. So those are the two that come into mind. But I definitely think as far as just emotional impact, um, getting answers, uh, ground being covered, all of that, this definitely goes down as the... The, the best season so far in my book. And I'm hoping that they just keep raising the bar. And now one of the issues that the show has is that they've reached, they've raised the bar to this level. People tend to expect that all the time. So when you have like a, a lull in next year or the year following, people are going to be like, Oh, well, has it lost a step? Has it lost a step? You're going to see that. But I think that's part of, I think that the shortened seasons will help that. I'm sad that the seasons are shorter. But if I get 13 amazing episodes as opposed to 20 where eight of them are eh, I'd, I'd rather have just 13 amazing episodes. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And so it sounds like we're all kind of unanimous on this being the best season. Um, and, and you brought up stuff like Breaking Bad and Lost and stuff. And I, I want to ask Matt, um, I don't know if you watched Lost or not. Um, but, you know, uh, Tony mentioned yeah. how they didn't stick the ending, right? Um it, it's funny because a lot a lot of people's grief kind of with the the ending of loss was that you know it kind of ended in a way where i guess it was kind of lackluster to say in a, in a sense i mean you know a lot of people said this is how it's going to end and then the directors constantly you know fought back this is not how it's going to end and then it's exactly how it ended um you know think things have happened in game of thrones that you know we kind of knew that was going to happen and it still didn't you know give that that lackluster effect that Lost did. And I don't know, you know, who, who to give credit to for that. But wh where do you think it ranks? Because, I, I mean, I did love Lost at the end of the day, all, all things considered. Um, where do you think it ranks with all these shows? You know, Breaking Bad, Lost, um, all, 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 the, all these, you know, Sons of Anarchy, all these shows that people love. Where, where do you think it, it sits, at, you know, as far as all these go? Well, I think there's, there's 
there's always been two things um, that have held me back. A frequent discussion uh, on the app and on message boards is what is the greatest show of all time? And all these shows have passionate defenders. Shout out to our friend Jacob O'Niner, who is always telling us uh, the Breaking Bad is the greatest <laughs> thing he's ever seen. And we're always kind of going back and forth with him. I think there's two things that I always think about. First, I think you can fully judge where a show ends up in the pantheon until it's complete. Because as we talked about, endings are incredibly important. If Lost would have ended after season four or after season five, it would probably be in a different place in the conversation than yep. after where it ends. Absolutely. Um, one of my favorite ones is Seinfeld. Seinfeld has managed after a few years to work its way back up. But I remember after that finale happened, people were livid. Yep. Just a boring, weird episode that completely took you out of the entire series. Or more recently, a comedy like How I Met Your Mother, where, you know, that's another one kind of like Lost, where people have these early theories about what the show is about, and people said, oh, that's not right, that's not right. Well, it did end up being kind of right. Maybe not in the way people expected, but it did. So Game of Thrones, I think one of the things that protects it from the kind of arguments that you have about Lost, where people are guessing, is that it's based on a series of books. Uh, so it's going off of the source material. It's not exactly like they're making everything up. They're past the books now, but they have you know, George R. R. Martin and his vision to guide them. So I don't think people are necessarily surprised when these things happen. Uh, and it's not like the creators of the show have ever attempted to say, oh, that's not what's going to happen. They basically don't answer any questions, which is great. Right. But I think so we have 13 episodes, and depending on if it keeps going on the trajectory it's going, um, then it'll definitely be up there in the conversation. But I like to see how it ends. For me, the best show, in my opinion, ever is still The Wire. And I have long thought that that's another HBO drama, not just because of the story, but because it's something that transcended its art form. It was more than just a television show. It made a statement about our world and some of the pitfalls and dangers, the, the death of urban America. So that's always, for a long time, been what I thought was the best show of all time. And I didn't really ever think that was going to change. But these last three weeks have really made me reconsider that. And for the first time, I thought I could see a path for Game of Thrones becoming, at least me, the greatest show in the history of television, depending on where it lands in these last two seasons. I think that's an incredible testament to the artistry and the artistic vision uh, that Benioff and Weiss have shown in bringing the show to the big screen and the investment and the time and the patience that HBO has put in because this was pretty far from a sure thing when it launched six seasons ago. They weren't sure it would find an audience. They weren't sure if it would work, how it would last, and it has grown in incredible and incredibly beautiful ways. And I just can't wait to see they're bringing it home okay so i mean so you feel like as of right now if everything ended right now you you put the wire above it but when we finish out these next two seasons you can see game of thrones taking that spot you're saying yeah i mean i could see a path for it uh, going i think if it ended right now it would be incomplete because uh there's still a lot of storylines up in the air right and you know i'm very curious see where they go with these last 13 episodes, not so much worried about exactly how it's going to end, but how they 
and bring it together. But I can see uh, if they keep on the path they're going, this this season was stunning to me in a lot of ways, not just in terms of story, but in terms of construction and uh, the cinematic principles. I heard one critic talking about how it looks better uh, than what we've come to expect from these epic movies. Right. Than something like Gladiator or Braveheart, some movies that won Best Picture. And that's quite a that's quite a feat to bring that to the small screen. Absolutely. And The Wire was came out what, what time period? Was that the early 2000s or was it? 2002. Okay. 2002 to 2008. So 2002, 2008. Uh, see, the funny thing is, you know, I've heard other people say that, you know, as far as putting it up there with the top, uh, at either at the top or in the top three, whatever the case may be. And it's funny because a lot of times when you ask this question, um, people do come up with shows like Game of Thrones, Lost, you know, Walking Dead, all, all these shows that... Um, you know, are not reality. And then The Wire, you know, which is, you know, 2000, 2008, still holds weight and it happens to be about, you know, reality. <laughs> you know what I mean? So something about, you know, the rawness, yeah. you know, the realness of it is probably what, you know, captivates people as well, right? I mean, that has to, that has to do something, right? Yeah, I mean, it was created by a guy, uh, David Simon, who was a writer for the Baltimore Sun and his partner, who was a Baltimore homicide detective, and they basically created The Wire based on their experiences of crime and urban decay using Baltimore as a metaphor for the decay of urban America in general. And each season was pretty specific about what it had, what area it wanted to explore. You know, it explored how the drug trade worked, how people get sucked into it, the role the courts play, the role the government plays. Actually, the guy that plays Littlefinger on Game of Thrones was the mayor of Baltimore. The Wire. <laughs> He's one of several HBO uh, recycling project actors that gets picked up in multiple series. It looked at the role of education and the role of media. Kind of, it, it aimed to make a social statement. There aren't very many series that have drawn a few creative and commentary from a sitting president uh, like The Wire has. There's been giant books written about the impact it's had. Um, and to me, that that's one of the reasons I always put it at the top, because it was something that transcended its art form. And I feel like not in terms of social impact, but in terms of the way they're making art, Game of Thrones has moved toward that trajectory. Right. I got you. I mean, and, and for those listening, I, I mean, this is a Game of Thrones recap, but the season just ended. So if you haven't watched The Wire, I mean, that's a pretty ringing endorsement right there, um, you know, to, to fill in that that void. Um, Tony, I, I know you're going to put Walking Dead ahead of Game of Thrones. <laughs> but uh, besides that, nah, seriously, where, where do you where do you put this show? I mean, where, where you know, are, are, do you still want to give it time or do you already give it the crown? I mean, where are you at with this? First of all, I just want to preface this. I haven't seen The Wire. Um, it's actually on my to-do list. But when when you start these seasons, it's like it's like opening a big book. You know what I mean? Like, it's, is this worth costing me my family? You know, it's kind yeah. of the question I always ask going into these seasons because I, I just know how I am. I'm going to binge watch the hell out of it. And, and, and so Game of Thrones, I, I you're literally opening a book. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I haven't seen The Wire. I plan on seeing it. My my go TV show was always Breaking Bad. Like I, I think 
since really probably the end of season four and how how it ended. I'm not I'm not gonna spoil it for anybody that might not have seen it, but that that show has always held that crown for me, and Game of Thrones surpassed that in my opinion this season. Now the way Vince Gilligan made television was very different and very stylized from anything else I had seen on TV. Just the way that he he directed and the people that he hired directed and the way that he wrote the story. And I don't think that Vince Gilligan is like um, Benioff and Weiss in that they know the ending uh, of, of how it's going to end. A lot of people say because everything wrapped up so neatly that he did. But I think Gilligan was kind of more going on the fly. And then he was like, oh, well, we, we did this in season two, so we can do this now. We did this in season three, so we can do this now. And was kind of pulling it. And it's just a different way of making television. But just the sheer scope that Game of Thrones enters when you talk about these gigantic battle set pieces and still having the political intrigue and the emotion, I don't think any show has elicited the emotional response from me that Game of Thrones has. Like, I'm, I'm very invested in these characters. And Breaking Bad is the only show that I can remember really getting me to that point where, you know, I was crying when characters died. I was elated when they were elated and just you're riding this emotional emotional roller coaster with them and game of thrones is on that level emotionally and then when you add in the set pieces you add in the artistic vision like matt said you add in all of that i do think it's i think when it's all said and done it will go down as the greatest tv show ever it'll be what everything else is kind of kind of based on and i don't think we're going to see anything like uh, again just because Anything that comes after this is going to is going to be compared to Game of Thrones. You know, I don't think they can make another fantasy series like this and it be Game of Thrones. Just like Better Call Saul isn't Breaking Bad. Or there's actually um one. If you're just going by a straight season, something that doesn't ever get mentioned a lot, and I don't know if if Matt's seen it or not, is uh, Jessica Jones. I really think that that's up there with some of the greatest single-season runs in history. Now, it's only had one season. We'll see if it keeps going. But that show, the directing, the, the characters, the nuances of all of it, even for just being like a Marvel superhero comic book show, that season is amazing. So anybody that hasn't seen that, go out and watch Jessica Jones. I know some... I, I've had some guys come to me and be like, oh, it's just, you know, it's just a, a sick superhero, blah, blah, blah. It's not, it's not actiony enough. You know, it's not as action packages like Daredevil or Game of Thrones or anything like that, but the, the nuance in the characters is really where that show lies. So that's one that kind of is up there for me personally, but yeah, I think I think Game of Thrones will eventually be like the GOAT. It'll be the championship holder for God knows how long because God knows how long it's going to be until we see another show like this. <laughs> and, and, and let's be honest, you know, um, none of those shows have Jamie in them, Tony. So hey, yeah, my, my man crush. Shout out to you, boy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, but I mean, seriously, there's a hey, lot of. Well, look, I could do worse than a rich, handsome fella. All right, he's he's got a bunch of land. <laughs> you know, like I could do worse than that. Come on now, look uh, at that jawline. I agree, man. I agree. I will not argue with you. I will not argue with you. Apparently, Tony was the uh, Tony was the missing character in the other woman. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's, that's the only thing I don't have going for me with Jamie is I'm, my last name isn't Lannister so I don't think he would have a whole lot of interest in me 
Oh. Which that that pool's kind of dwindling out. You know, there's not as many of those left. Maybe I got a shot. Man, man, oh man. Well, I mean, you know, we uh, when when it comes to you know this conversation that we're having and we're talking about, you know, where does it rank in the best shows? Um, something that I think all of us said at some point or another was we have to see how it ends. You know, we have to see how this thing plays out. We have to see how it finishes. Um, we kind of touched on it, you know, a little bit when we were talking about King's Land and everything. But if if you have to give some predictions here or one bold prediction or or anything moving forward, um, you know, whether it's just next season or both seasons. I mean, I know, like I said, we kind of covered these, but if there's just one prediction you had to stick to, whether it's just a bold one or just one that you think is certainly going to happen, um, give us at least one each, guys. Matt, go ahead and start with Matt. I think uh, my one guarantee would be Cersei doesn't see season eight. That's that's fair. <laughs> and you said you 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 think Jamie kills her, right? I think so. I, I think that that's going to be the way they go out because that would be um, probably the most emotionally gutting because even though their relationship is uh, essentially incredibly creepy, if you spend too much time thinking about it, there's been something fascinating about the devotion that um, Cersei and Jamie have together. I mean, even in that speech she gives to Septa Una uh, while she's about to torture her, the uh, gross way that she describes how much she loves to be with her brother <laughs> is deeply unsettling, but kind of just shows how bonded they are together. He did something similarly uh, terrifying when he was uh, challenging Edmure Tully, yeah. um, trying to get him to end that war. So I think that would be the most... Uh, this is a show that looks for the big emotional moment. And I think that would be um, a whopper, uh, watching Jamie go so far, you know, from being willing to hurl a baby at a stone wall in order to get back to the woman he loves to plunging a knife into her to end her reign of terror. That would be uh, a pretty rich emotional completion of that story. Absolutely. Yeah. I've talked before on this how, like, George R. R. Martin and, um, by extension, Benny Alpha White kind of love the the allegories, you know, and um, kind of working off of other works of literature and things like that. And I've always kind of viewed Jamie and Cersei as a very twisted Romeo and Juliet. Like, it's a forbidden love. You know, obviously, it's not two warring families, but it's still, it's, you have the forbidden love aspect. You have all of these things. And I do think that that definitely has a tragic ending. Um, as far as like bold predictions, I think um, we end next season with the wall crumbling. Uh, I think the Night King. I just I pictured in my mind of the army of the dead coming to the wall and and standing behind it, and the Night King just hitting the ground and the whole wall just shattering down. And that's kind of the last shot that I see happening in season seven. Damn. That is that's dark, man. That's dark. That's that's that'll definitely be a good way to uh you know to to go lead us into next season for sure. Um, and when really quick, when you said Romeo and Juliet, are are you saying that you think Jamie will die like a suicide type thing, or are you just saying just their twisted you know romance type thing? Do not speak such atrocities. 
<laughs> Come on now. You're going to make me cry. No, I think um, I'm starting to lead more credence to that theory. I hope not, just because I want to see his character become something more than a tragic figure or than a murderer. I want to see him have a larger role to play in the, the war to come. But I'm starting to lend more credence to that theory that it will be kind of like a murder-suicide or something along those lines. Gotcha. I, I mean, I think you could see Jamie go the way of Common there after having to yeah, take out, out his, the window. Yeah, his sister lover, Cersei. I mean, I could see him, you know, whether he jumps out a window or not, just kind of losing that will to keep going forward, losing that yeah. light that makes him him. Man, the, the the wall shattering, Jamie killing himself. You guys are getting all dark on me on a sudden, man. You guys are going <laughs> to tone it down a little bit, guys. You, you have watched this show before, right? <laughs> <laughs> I have. How the hell do you think it's going to go? I have, and I've had enough of the, the darkness. No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> yeah, let's, you know, let's, let's, let's brighten it up here on, on, a, on the way here to end this. Um, Matt, we have started a fantasy league, or sure. you have started a fantasy league. Um, tell us what makes this league so special and why we had to be a part of it. Well, uh, a few weeks ago, uh, in May, we were kind of bantering. We've had, uh, the Game of Thrones chat going strong on the app for uh, a few months now. I started the, the chat, um, I think in February, a few months before the season started kind of teasing it out, but it really has taken, taken off, uh, as one might expect once the season began. And it's been a, a really great community, a lot of people sharing uh, fun memes and jokes, predictions, uh, consoling each other after the door. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's been a great <laughs> community. And um, a couple of other users, uh, not that Kevin Hart and uh, Dr. Dynasty, suggested that we start a league. And so we jumped in there, we got one formed, and we already have uh, 16 teams getting ready for our maiden season. It was really fun. Uh, Shout out to Dr. Dynasty for making a, a giant Game of Thrones prediction quiz over the last three episodes to help us determine yeah, that was, our, our draft that was, position. That was seriously the coolest way I've ever determined a draft position before. That was so much fun. Well, if only Cersei would have managed to die, I think I would have gotten up there close to the first pick. Yeah. Not to brag or anything. Not to exactly. brag. I'm tied for third. Not to brag. Yeah, you're right. You're gonna be right in front of me after after the hound loses. <laughs> You'll be sniping wow. my picks. Brutal. But uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. You know, it's kind of a way to keep that that bond and the fun alive. I always uh, say that these uh, last few uh, weeks of Thrones, you know, they always kind of help you um, brighten up the time between football seasons. And having the league uh, will be a fun way for us to uh, keep that fun going during the season and to battle for bragging rights. There's only one Iron Throne. It'll be interesting to see which of our houses ends up taking it. Kendry's taking that throne back for the Bobbitt's best. It's just going to happen. One thing I wanted to say, you talked about kind of the dark season. Um, somebody figured out, I can't remember the, which user it was, so um, shout out to whoever it was. <laughs> That if you watch one episode every five days for now until season seven, it'll take you right up until season seven. So I'm personally going to start doing that. Um, if anybody in the chat wants to do 
do that with me if you guys want to like set a day maybe we could talk about it anything like that i'd definitely be down for that because really shout out to you matt because that's become my go-to chat as soon as i open the app like i go to that chat first even even neil said something to me about my lack of presence in the clock dodgers chat just because i've devoted so much time to that game of thrones chat so it's really become like my favorite chat so i'd love to keep that going yeah. Well, and I mean, it's just become such a prolific chat. I was uh, I'm on vacation this week, so yesterday I had a 450-mile drive, couldn't be on my phone for seven hours, popped open the Game of Thrones chat, and there's 296 posts. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm not going to lie either. I, I, I took a while, you know, to even join it because I'm like, man, I know them guys are in there dropping spoilers after spoiler after theory, and I didn't even want you guys polluting my mind. But, you know, once we got to the point where everyone's like, okay, we're past the books, you know, they're kind of on their own now. I'm like, all right, I think it's safe to jump in here now and not, you know, not feel like anything's going to be thrown my way. That's too, you know, too much of a spoiler. So um, I, I probably took a little longer than others, you know what I mean, to jump in there because of that. But it has been, you know, a super uh, cool crew, cool group to be a part of. Uh, and like, like you said, with the league, um, it'll kind of keep that Game of Thrones spirit alive. Um, while we're waiting, you know, for the for the for the show to come back and and during the football season, so it should be a lot of fun, man. Yeah, so especially thanks. if uh, one of the houses that have been eradicated manages to win the Iron Throne. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a cool little twist. Everyone everyone has you know a house name and uh, or you know like I'm the Brotherhood without banners, but there's all, all different houses chose. So it's gonna, it's gonna be a lot of fun and. Um, you know, like you said, just to keep that spirit alive and, and thank you, like you said, Dr. Dynasty and you and everybody else who's kind of, you know, played a part in that and, and also just keeping the chat, you know, keep the chat moving and keeping it fun for us. Um, is there anything else that we're missing guys? Anything else that we missed here? Well, I, I will take it from your silence that there's nothing. Yeah. <laughs> All right, man. Well, you know, I Can't do want to. Wait for next season. Yeah, exactly, and, and and let's take up you know that, that five every every you said every five. How how, how does that work, uh, Tony, with the episodes to catch up when you say where it ends exactly on season? Every five days. Every five days, so one now, episode. If you watch one episode now. If you watch every five days, then it takes you right into season seven. Let's do it, man. Let's do it. Well, Matt, I want to thank you again for coming on. For anybody who wants to find Matt. Um, you can do it on Twitter or on the Fantasy Life app on both. He kept it simple for everybody. He kept it nice and easy. It's not two different crazy names on two different things. It's Nighthawk, just as I said it, Night, K-N-I-G-H-T, Hawk, H-A-W-K, 7734. That's on Twitter and on the Fantasy Life app. So you can argue with him about football and Game of Thrones. Um, hit him up. Show him love. Tony, let him know where you're at again. I'm at Mr. Meeseeks on the FL app, and I'm at Reimer A-S, R-E-I-M-E-R-A-S on Twitter. Yeah, that, his Twitter handle is so confusing that he just messed it up. So. Yeah, right. And um, <laughs> I'll be I'll be dropping a week, uh, Geeky Bugle soon, so watch out for that. And I'm going to start working on actually ranking the 10 greatest Game of Thrones episodes ever. So. Keep an eye out for that in the coming weeks. Man, because you see how Clock Dodgers does it, man? Even when the season ends, it just constantly 
bringing stuff out there keeping it alive and 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 like i said this isn't going to be the final episode either for the podcast for the game of thrones versions we're going to do a couple more of these um and and we'll see how it plays out you know who knows maybe we'll go the whole way but we'll definitely do at least a few more um and and see what we get out of that um thank you again matt for coming on any shout outs anything you want to say to anybody listening any kind of anything you want to say to anybody no just uh thanks for listening thanks for having me on uh Looking forward to another great season in 10, 10 short months. Absolutely, man. All right, guys. As always, Clock Dodgers, be kind, be great, keep dodging. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to stop by clockdodgers.com and follow us on Twitter.